welcome in to episode 35 of Force for the Podcast. Andrew May alongside Rob Dufresne with you. Listen, we hope that everybody listens to every single one of our podcasts. That would be appreciated. But if there was ever one to listen to, I'm going to say tonight would be the one. Because there is so much stuff to get into tonight. We have Steve Cohen with his introductory press conference. We have the Giants getting another win. We have the Jets almost getting a win, Rob. I mean, they were within a possession late in the fourth quarter. That, that's some it, good news, huh? It, it was the perfect scenario for a Jet fan, Andrew. They actually, they actually uh, distinguished themselves pretty well uh, you know, on a primetime game. Uh, they played well, and they blew the game. So, you know, they didn't blow their chances at Trevor Lawrence. And the Jet fan got to see a well-played game, and the Jets were competitive. So what's wrong with that? Yeah. So we'll get into the Jets and the Giants. We'll get into the rest of the NFL, what else happened in Week 9. Um, we'll also get into the Knicks a little bit. We got the draft coming up in a week. And actually, just before we get on the air, you're hearing reports now that Russell Westbrook has requested a trade from the Houston Rockets. And, of course, the Knicks are tied to him in every rumor that's flying around. Oh, uh, God, no. Ball we don't want that. Now we you hear the Russell Westbrook rumors, so we'll, we'll definitely get into the Knicks, too. Yeah. Uh, first thing I want to start off with, we're recording. It is Wednesday, uh, November 11th. Today is Veterans Day, um, and I think I can speak on behalf of Rob um, when I utter this statement. Uh, just a sincere thank you, appreciation, and gratitude to anyone who's ever served, anyone who's still currently serving, those who have lost their lives serving this country. Uh, everybody knows it's the ultimate sacrifice, so we thank anybody out there. And you should really thank and, and adore those who make that sacrifice at all times, not just on Veterans Day. But with it being Veterans Day, it, it's appropriate to really acknowledge those people. And um, I'll say this, something as simple as a, as Rob and I doing a podcast, you know, it doesn't seem like it's related to the military in any way, shape, or form. I get that, but it's just a simple freedom that we have because we have the resources to have it. And that's what makes this country so great is we're able to do whatever we want. And the reason why we're able to do that is because of the men and women who have fought to defend and protect those freedoms that we do have. So um, and I think Rob will agree with me with everything I say. Just 100 percent. Thank everybody out there. Always thank a vet. Anybody you ever see in uniform wearing camouflage, uh, Army, Navy, Marine, whatever, whatever branch in service they might have, they might have uh, served. Always thank them because they are giving us our freedoms here. They're giving us our freedoms. Don't ever, ever forget that. Don't like ever I forget said, it. Not just today. Every day. Every you know, single day. day and, and, it, and it's convenient to acknowledge it. But really, every day, you know, thank you to those who made that sacrifice to, to fight for this country and everything this country was founded on. It doesn't go unnoticed and it'll never be forgotten. Um, so from a sports perspective... We got to start with Steve Cohen. We have to start with Steve Cohen. Uncle Stevie, baby. Uncle Stevie's in town. Uncle Stevie is in the building. He has kicked down the door. He has made his presence known. So, obviously, once the deal closed last week, that was after our last episode. We weren't able to break that down. But he basically cleaned house. Um, Got rid of Brody Van Wagenen. Got rid of Adam Gutridge. Jared Banner. Allard Bad, the assistant GM. Omar Minaya. All those guys, gone. So as soon as the deal closed, he did exactly what we hoped and expected him to do, and that was get rid of everybody who were hires of the previous regime who have fallen on their face and just flat out failed since they've taken over. That we knew what was, that was going to happen. Okay. So then Steve Cohen has his introductory press conference with the media yesterday. He talks to all the reporters, as did Sandy Alderson, the team president, in the second stint with the team. 
And look, some people who are listening, they might jump me. They might say I'm just being a, you know, a Mets fanboy. That's not the case. Everyone knows I'm a diehard Mets fan. Everyone knows Rob is a diehard Mets fan. That's not what this is about, okay? This is just if you're a baseball fan, even if you're a Yankees fan. This is the way you got to look at what happened yesterday. That was a success in every way, shape, or form. I know when you're a fan of a team, you normally try to defend them when the natural reaction for everyone else would be to jump them. I know as a fan of a team, you look for positives when everything seems to be going negatively. I know as a fan, you you tend to look at any little positive and, and treat it as if it's the this biggest the biggest thing ever, when in reality, it's, it's minuscule. That's not what I'm doing here. That's not what Rob's going to do, because Rob and I have been talking ever since Steve Cohen got on the Zoom call yesterday, and we're in total agreement. Every single thing he said was picture perfect, okay? He said he was going to create a winner. He was going to create sustained success. He was going to overhaul the infrastructure of this team, which Rob has been saying for five months now that that's the first order of business is you need to you need to fix the infrastructure of this team. He said straight out, he was asked a question about how involved he was going to be in baseball operations. And his answer, and I'm paraphrasing, was, yeah, I played Little League. That's about it. Yeah, I'm not a ba- I'm not a big baseball guy. I'm a baseball fan, not a baseball savant. I'm going to leave all the baseball-related decisions to the professionals and the people that are smarter than me in that area. Bing, bang, boom, right off the bat. That's what you want to hear as a Mets fan. Will it translate to a championship right away? I don't know. I'm not going to say it will. Okay, are they going to make the playoffs this year? I don't know. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. But that right there, that answer right there is what gives you hope as a Mets fan, and that is why this ownership change is successful no matter what. Because the previous regime had a guy who— Probably less of a baseball fan than Steve Cohen is, to be honest with you. Never played the game, never coached the game, didn't know the game, but yet he was meddling in baseball operations at all times. And that's why this team was an unmitigated disaster for the past 20 years. So anything that deviates from what was going on then is a positive in my eyes. He was funny. He was welcoming to the media. He said all the right things. He came out and said it. If, if I don't win a World Series within the next three to five years, I'm going to be disappointed. And I see Yankee fans online saying, oh, yeah, way to put the target on your back by saying that. Oh, shut up. Stop with the nonsense. He didn't guarantee a World Series. He didn't say we're going to win a World Series. He put out his goal. I want to win a World Series in the next five years. And if I don't, I'll be disappointed. And guess what? So will I. I'm a fan of the team. I want them to win a World Series. If they don't, I'll be disappointed too. There's nothing wrong with that statement. Nothing. He struck all the right chords. He hit all the right notes. And I don't know how you could possibly be a Mets fan, a Yankees fan, a baseball fan, anything, and look at that press conference and not think that Steve Cohen hit a grand slam because everything he did was stupendous. It was remarkable. And I'm just, I'm just so, so excited. I was excited when I heard that he was buying the team. When he was approved, I was excited. I heard him speak for the first time in that press conference, and I'm more excited than I've ever been. So... Steve Cohen era is upon us, and judging by what happened in the press conference, there's no reason not to be ecstatic. Because, Rob, here's the thing you got to remember. I know it's just a press conference, and we ultimately, he hasn't made any moves yet. The team hasn't played any games yet. That's fine. I get all that. But a lot of times, the press conference is an indication of what's to come. Now, there have been a lot of times where we've seen good press conferences, but it hasn't worked out, right? That's happened before. The press conference doesn't guarantee you success. But have you ever seen a time where there was a bad press conference and it ended up working out? Because I can't recall a time that that's happened. When John Idzik was putting people to sleep at the podium when he was hired as Jets GM. 
That didn't work out. When Adam Gase was glaring around the room like a serial killer with his big wide eyes wandering. How's that worked out for the Jets so far? When Ben McAdoo showed up at his press conference with a, with a suit that was five sizes too big for him. How did that work out for the Giants? When Pat Shermer didn't have a personality and didn't give long answers and was just really bland. How did that work out for them? Right? So a bad press conference is usually a sign of things to come. A good press conference isn't always a sign of things to come. But it's the first little check mark that you put in box number one as far as the first step towards sustained success. And Steve Cohen nailed it perfectly yesterday. Yeah, he he was spot on. And let me tell you something. There was a movie called The Principal years ago with Jim Belushi. And he played the principal of a school. He went to go uh, uh, teach at a principal of school that, you know, it was was a bunch of thugs in the school and gangs and everything. And it was him and it was, uh, oh, my God, I forget the the other guy. Uh, Oh, Jesus. Whatever. There was another guy in it, too. I forget. The, uh, it'll come to me, the name. But Jim Belushi kept on telling the gangs, no more. No more. You're not going to run roughshod in this school anymore. No more. And he carried a bat. Well, that's what the Met fan is saying to the Yankee fan now in this city. No more. We're no longer going to be your little brother. We're no longer going to be your whipping boy because now we got money to spend and we got an owner that wants to spend it. So no more, not happening anymore. So if the Yankee fans want to sit there and try to ruin our day for the last couple of, you know, couple of days, so be it. It ain't happening anymore because you know what? Now you're feeling threatened. I don't care about your 27, 28 championships anymore. I don't care because you haven't won one since 2009. So take your Giancarlo Stanton contract and shove it. It ain't happening anymore with Steve Cone in town. It's not happening. No more. We are now going to be the kings of New York. I'm making that proclamation to all Mets fans. I'm not going to go that far. We will be the kings of New York. I'm making it, Andrew. I don't care. I'm pumped up. Uncle Stevie's in town, baby. He's in town. (laughs) Uncle Stevie said, you know what? I'm doing this for the fans of, of the Mets. I'm doing this for my family that are diehard Met fans, my father-in-law who went to every single Met game at Shea at City Field. That's what I'm doing this for. I don't need to make money with this team. I'm not looking to make money with this team. I make plenty of money with my companies, with my hedge fund companies. I think it's point seventy-two, whatever the hell it's called. I don't care what it's called. He's a billionaire, and he's looking to spend some money. He's looking to to change the, the whole dynamic of this organization, an organization that was basically bitch slapped by the coupons, I used to call them, Fred and Jeff Coupon. That's what I called them. Jeff Wilpon, who was a wannabe, wannabe baseball player and a wannabe general manager. Well, you know what? Now you take your wannabe and let the door hit you in the ass. Get out. Get out. Because you know what? You never gave a shit about this organization. Jeff Wilpon never, the, the, the love that Steve Cohn showed to the Met fans and the entire fan base and the entire organization was never shown not once by a Wilpon. Not once. Not once. And you notice that Steve Cohen never thanked Jeff Wilpon. He never thanked, thanked Fred him. Wilpon. He thanked Fred. And you know what? I got nothing against Fred so much. It's a it's the little douche Jeff Wilpon. He's the one, the little douche, the little wannabe. That, that Paul LaDuca said the other day, he goes, all he ever did was come around our locker room 
and he pretended like he was the general manager or even pretended at times he wanted to be a player. He was a nobody. Get out. Get out. Take your 5% of the team. Get out. We don't want you anymore. Get out. Well, here's what I'll say. I'm not going to proclaim them kings in New York. I'm, listen, I'm point. proclaiming them kings in New York, Andrew, because you know what? It's enough with this because we've 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 had we we've had enough over the last. You know, I'm going to give them credit for 2005, 2006, where you know prior to their you know their their you know their their made made off money that they were making that they might have thought was going to last them a lifetime. You know, making all the money from Madoff where they, they went out and, and they signed the Pedro Martinez. They signed the Carlos Beltran. You know, they, they brought in El Delgado. They brought in the Leduca. You know, they kind of put the team together there. Okay, fine. I give them credit for that. But after that Madoff money went down south, that was it. They were done with this team. Done. They cared more about the Brooklyn Cyclones than they did about the New York Mets. And when you went at the city field, the day it was built, the first day, and I was there, I looked at this stadium and I said, where the hell is the Mets stuff? Is this a Mets stadium here? And I have no problem with the Jackie Robinson Rotunda, a Jackie Robinson statue. It's part of the history of baseball. I get that. I have no problem. But where the hell was Tom Seaver? Where was that? Where was some of your some some of your iconic type of players that you had there? Where was that? There was not one thing, not one piece of paraphernalia to show that that was a, a, a Mets stadium. Nothing. They gave a shit less about the Mets at that point. At that point, they couldn't care less. And what Steve Cohn did yesterday was he re-energized the entire New York Mets fan base. And when he said, I'm not looking just to win a championship for one year. I want sustainability. And Andrew, how many times did I use that word? For 35, 35 podcast shows, how many times have I used the word sustainability? Because that's what matters. You're not winning a championship Every single year. Not happening. Nobody's ever done it. Not happening. Okay? But you want sustainability. You just want the chance to win. Even if you don't win, you want the chance. I give the Yankees credit. They're in it every single year. They're in the playoffs. And as much as Yankee fans are spoiled and go crying, but at least your team's in it every single year. That's what I want. I don't want what the New York Giants have done to me where you won your four Super Bowls and I got to live off of that and I can't make a championship and I got to get embarrassed for the last seven years here. I don't want that. I'm not paying a price to win one Super Bowl where I don't make the playoffs for the next 15 years. I want sustainability within an organization. And when he used the word, I want this organization to be iconic, that's what you should be doing. That's what you should be saying to your fan base. We're not settling for anything less. Nothing less. He said all the right things. And all you needed to do was see Sandy Alderson's face and his words. That man was relieved. He was ecstatic himself because under that Wilpon regime, he was strangled. And he knew it. And even Brody Van Wagen and walking out the door took a, sh a, 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 a shot, a backhanded shot at, at, uh, at Jeff Wilpon, basically. Basically stating, well, I really wasn't the general manager here. Okay? So another direct shot at little douchey Jeff. Another direct shot at him. So you know what? This fan base needs it. We as Met fans, diehard Met fans, need it. I'm re-energizing it, Andrew. I want the season to start today. I'm ready. And listen, he's not going to go out and he's not going to be buying every single player. I get it. I understand that. It's not going to happen. 
But as Sandy Alderson said, we no longer have to look at the cost of bringing in a player. We could just look at the acquisition itself. And those words have to linger with every single Met fan out there. It's not the cost anymore. Now it's a matter of if we need to acquire the player, we can bring him in if he's a fit. That's it. That's it. Yeah, and you have to be looking forward to the future. I mean, you have to. And and, and just like you said, you, you can't. You can't sit here and be irresponsible to sit here and say that they're going to sign everybody. And I'm not going to be that fan who's going to say that because it's annoying to listen to. And quite frankly, it's unrealistic. I get that. But like you said, at least now it's not eyewash, right? I mean, last offseason or two offseasons ago when Bryce Harper and Manny Machado were free agents. You know, we talked that we weren't doing the podcast at that point, but we've talked about it. Hey, I think Bryce Harper or Manny Machado would be a fit on this team. You know, their salary is not that high. They could fit these guys. You know, you never know. And you keep hearing that there was a mystery team involved. And, oh, I wonder if that's the Met. But you knew deep down it was never going to happen. You know, it was just eyewash. Now it's not eyewash. Whenever there's a big-name free agent or whenever there's a really good player that's available and could fill a need on this team, it's no longer eyewash. It's a realistic possibility that that player could be wearing a Mets uniform, and that's all I want. I don't need him to go out there and create a $250 million payroll. I don't need him to go out there and try to buy himself a championship. I don't need him to go out there and make every single trade for every single person who's on an expiring contract and bring in every all-star. I don't need that. But you know what? I need an ownership group, and a front office that is going to at least explore all possibilities and see a window and take advantage of that window and pounce on a move when it's available. That's what I want. And here's what I'll say about the Mets being kings in New York. I think you always heard that the Mets were the Yankees' little brother, right? I wouldn't even say that they were the little brother. I would say that they were, they were, the, they were the stepchild, right? Because... Yeah, they were in New York, but did they really belong in New York with the way that they operated? They didn't spend money like they were in the media capital of the world. They didn't promote themselves as if they were in the media capital of the world. They didn't have faces of the sport on the team as if they were in the biggest market in the world. They didn't do that, right? It seemed as if they were here, but they weren't really accepted and they didn't really fit in, right? Now, I would say that they're prop- they- they've probably graduated to little brother status, right? But with what Steve Cohen did, because I don't think they could take over his big brother, at least not yet, because the Yankees are a, are a franchise with such a rich history going back to the early 1900s. So I don't think the Mets can do enough to even to, to take that over. But I will say this, that little brother in town, Rob, just hit a huge growth spurt, right? They hit a big growth spurt, and they, they're a little taller than the big brother right now. And the big brother is not going to be able to boss them around anymore. And the little brother is not constantly looking at the big brother saying, man, I wish I was as cool and as rich and as good looking as him. That's not happening anymore. So that's what I'll say. I'm excited. And every Mets fan should be excited. And I'm not going to sit here and say to tamper your expectations, but I, I'm just going to say be wary because they're, they're not going to sign everybody. It's just not a realistic possibility. Unless Steve Cohen comes in here and is willing to blow $100 million over the luxury tax, which he's not going to do. I mean, he said that yesterday. He said, we're not going to spend like drunken sailors, but we are a major market team and we're going to have a budget that reflects that, which is exactly what you wanted to hear. He didn't set a, a, a distinct budget. He didn't give you an exact number. He didn't give you any names of free agents. He just said everything the, the right way. He acknowledged that we have some holes to fill at starting pitcher. We have some holes to fill on defense. We have some holes to fill as far as the catching position is concerned. And we're going to explore all possibilities. And we're going to hit the ground running. 
He's all in. And he said, I have a day job. I make money there. I'm not in this to make money. I'm in this to win. Because he's been a fan of this team since he was a little kid. Right? And this is a little bit different because you know, I hear a lot of people saying the best part about Cohen owning this team is the fact that he's one of us. He's a fan. And every fan, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, every fan out there has at least thought to themselves at one point, you know, I would do a better job at general manager than who they currently have. I've thought it to myself before. I think I'd be a pretty good general manager. But, you know, it, it's, it's a little ignorant to think that way because these guys know the sport so much more th- than I do. And I played the sport growing up my whole entire life and watched it religiously. But they know more about it. It's a fact, right? But Steve Cohen is one of us from a fan perspective. But what he said about hiring the right people and letting them do their jobs is the number one thing you want well, to see. Well, look, he's going to let them do their jobs. But listen, this guy, again, he's a billionaire. He's not going to just let somebody, you know, sit there. He's, he's, going to, he's not going to micromanage. But at the same time, he's going to have his eye on things. And if he doesn't like the way certain things are going, trust me when I tell you, he will step in. He's not just going to sit there and just watch something maybe start going downhill. If he feels like things are wrong, he's going, he, he will step in. He'll let, oh, people yeah. do, he'll let people do their jobs, but he will step in if he doesn't see something that's not going right. He certainly will do that. Now, you know, look, again, he, he's got the right man in place in Sandy Alderson. I'm glad he brought Alderson back, a very well-respected man. And Sandy Alderson also said something that I was very happy. And the fact that it was even brought up, I was even happier. And he addressed it because it everybody sees it. We all see how poor defensively this team is. And I forgot who it was asked the question. I don't know if it was Vaccaro or it's one of those guys asked the question and said, are you going to address the team defense? Because in the past, you have kind of bypassed that for bats, you know, for op. And, and he even said it himself. And Alderson admitted that, you know, maybe he was making a mistake there, you know. But at the same time, he said, you know, we're also going to have we're also going to teach guys the right fundamentals. Hallelujah. I mean, you know, how many times have I stressed that on this podcast? Yep. About the, 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 the lack of fundamentals on his team as well. So these things need to be addressed. And I'm glad that it was brought up because that's an important, important facet to this team going into next year. You cannot play the same brand of baseball that they play. I don't care who's on the field. I don't care how much money they spend. Doesn't matter. The game needs to be played the right way. Bringing in a guy like Springer or Real Muto or one of those guys is fine. They're above average defensively. Bringing in Trevor Bauer is fine. But if you bring in Trevor Bauer first, you better damn well get some defense behind these, this pitching staff. That's all I got to say. I don't care who it is. I don't care what the hell they're hitting. Just go get me some gloves. Go get me guys that can feel the ball, that can make plays. That's what I need to see here. That's what I need to see. You have enough offense in this lineup. I need to see a, a, a team that's strong up the middle. And it brings me to my next point about Cano. If this universal DH comes into play, as it might, you know, as they're talking, that'll be the beneficial to the Mets. Because, uh, you know, they look, yeah, it, it's beneficial to the Mets 100%. Because it, it, it opens up the doors for DJ LeMahieu, even though I don't see the Mets signing him. I don't see it because they could always put McNeil at second. You know, I don't still don't know what they're going to do at third base. I still don't know what they're going to do there because you still need, you know, you still need a glove at third base. To me, you need you need a glove at third base. So it, even if McNeil plays third, he, 
handles himself okay. They still don't have a third baseman on this roster that I'm, I'm confident in. So they still don't. So there's definitely some flaws to this roster that's not going to be patched together through money. Because even though, you know, uh, as everybody probably heard by now, Marcus Stroman accepted the qualifying offer, making $18.5 million. It's a good get for the Mets. That's fine. We no longer have to bring in, you know, the retreads like Porcello and, and Waka and pay them $20 million combined. So, you know, you, you have Stroman at 18, 18 and a half, and that's fine. Do I think Stroman's a great pitcher? No, he's not. But is Stroman a good second or third starter? He is. And if you bring in Bauer with DeGrom, Bauer, and Stroman, Peterson fourth, well, whoever you sign off the scrappy, and God forbid it's Stephen Matz. Don't let it be Stephen Matz. But go get something else that's just competent that give you some innings. Even if it's Jake, o, a Jake Odorizzi, you know, who's coming off an injury, who can give you some innings, you know, a guy like that maybe. You, you could solidify the fifth star. Lugo's got to go back to, to the bullpen. He goes back to the bullpen, Lugo. So, you know, they listen, this team has a core here right now. It's got a core. And as I mentioned last week, you need you need to take advantage of DeGrom's prime year still. Take advantage of, of the of the pitcher that he is right now. You cannot waste these years with DeGrom. Now, Bauer won the Cy Young today. You know, you, you look at the market, Andrew, and this market right now is showing you, you know, a lot of these guys are accepting some of the qualifying offers. Guys like Lemayhu, Lemayhu and Riomuto and Springer did not accept it, and obviously not. Those guys weren't going to accept it, but guys like Kevin Gaussman and, and Marcus Stroman did, as well as other guys, because they're probably gauging the market, and they're seeing that that sort of money is not going to be out there in a multi-year deal. Just not going to happen right now in this day and age with the pandemic. It's not going to happen. So the way I look at it is you're going to see guys like Springer, even maybe Real Muto, not get the money that they might have gotten if it was a normal year. You might look at Springer as a 20 to $22 million player at this point instead of the $30 million player he would have gotten in a normal year. So do the Mets have enough to still bring in two more players? Yes, they do. They have enough to bring in Bauer and Springer if they choose. And, you know, maybe you go get a defense. At that point, you know, Andrew, you just get a defensive catcher. I don't care if it's Robinson Torinos. I don't care if he's hitting 200. I don't care if it's Mike Zanino. Just go get me a guy that can field a position. That's it. And then you could still trade for Lindor because, again, you could back, you could backload these contracts. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to just because you might be playing a, uh, paying a Trevor Bauer $30 million a year doesn't have to, you know, doesn't mean you have to pay him $30 million for that first season because you don't, you, you know, you probably want to avoid going over a luxury, luxury tax threshold. So, you know, the Mets would be teetering on that. So you could play around the contracts in that respect. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do this. You know, if they make all those moves, though, I, and I haven't really spoken to you about this point. I don't know how you feel about it. If they do make moves and sign two of those big name guys or even trade for a third or whatever the case may be, I think that probably rules out Michael Conforto getting an extension. He's probably gone after the year. Yeah, I, maybe not. I, I, don't, I don't, you know, maybe not. Maybe not. It, it, you know, with the money that Cone has now, you're not ruling out anything anymore. There's no ruling out anything. You're not ruling out anything anymore. That's not going to be ruled out anymore. It's not going to be. I, I I don't I don't see that. I just don't see it. I don't see it. See, I, you know, I, look, look. In a couple of years, you're gonna have Cano's money coming off the books. 
you know, you'll have his money coming off the books in a couple of years. Again, you could backload these contracts if need be, if you wanted to. But we no longer have to play the money game, Andrew, anymore. We no longer have to worry about that. The Dodgers' payroll was almost $250 million. They won a World Series. And like Steve Cohn stressed, we are going to act like a major market team. So I don't think he's going to be worried about payroll. And I'm not saying, again, like he stressed, we're not going to be, you know, spending like drunken sailors. But at the same time, he'll do to, he'll, he will do whatever he needs to do to put the best team on the field and in the dugout. He wants to win a championship within three to five years. Trust me when I tell you, he'll do everything in his power to make that try and happen. Nothing's a guarantee. Nothing is. But you know what? We no longer have to worry about losing Conforto like we lost Zach Wheeler last year. We no longer have to worry about things like that. You know, Jeff Passan brought up a good point. I know you you briefly mentioned it a few episodes ago about um, you know um, giving giving up a contract like Cano to a team like the Twins who yes. lost Nelson Cruz. Well, listen, listen, the only thing is I just, not to cut you off, I'm sorry about that, but, you know, Cano does have a, a no-trade clause, and he only accepted the trade to the Mets because it was New York. So, right. you know, it, it, listen, there's nothing guaranteed that he would move it again to go to Minnesota. I would probably doubt he wouldn't want to do that, but you never know. But that does come into play. But Jeff Passan was talking today, and he said that Steve Cohen – you know, stated how they're going to have a budget that's reflective of where they're playing in New York, right? And he wants to build a contender right away. But he also wants to replenish the farm system, and he really wants to put an emphasis on scouting and development. And Jeff Passon pointed out, he said, a, a perfect way to do both at the same time is to go out. You could spend money in free agency and plug in the holes that you currently have on the roster. But also, you look around the league at guys who have one to two years left on their contract and teams are strapped for cash, hey, I'll take that contract off your hands, just throw in a couple prospects to sweeten the pot. And all of a sudden, you're getting pretty good players on maybe bad deals, but you're getting good players from other teams and getting prospects as well for doing them a favor and taking that money off their hands in a year where they just played 60 games, paid out a prorated salary, didn't have any fans in the building, and lost over a, a billion and a half dollars amongst the entire league. So you're doing everyone else a favor. You can do both. You can get those good players on your team and try to fill the holes to be competitive and compete for a World Series, while in the meantime, also replenishing the farm system with some prospects. And then going hand-in-hand hand with that is obviously drafting well and developing these players well. And, and all of a sudden, you're killing two birds with one stone. And then that's that's how you start creating this sustained success. Because, you know, everyone thinks of the Dodgers and how big of a payroll that they had. But think about it. They didn't have a huge payroll because they went out and signed every big-name free agent. Yeah, they traded for Mookie Betts and signed him to the extension, right? But Justin Turner, who, if Corey Seager didn't win MVP, Justin Turner would have won it. Justin Turner was signed to a minor league deal after the Mets non-tendered a contract to him. Corey Seager was drafted, right? Walker Bueller, prospect developed within their system. Tony Gonsolin pitched in a couple of big moments, developed through their system. Julio Urias pitched two and a third innings in relief well, no, to clinch the NLCS I, I, and the I, World I brought, Series. I brought, all these guys. Last, I brought them all up last week. You know, the Dodgers then supplemented with Mookie Betts. Yeah, they had to take on David Price's contract, but you can do that now with money. You can do that. 
You think the Dodgers are regretting going over the luxury tax threshold and spending $250 million to win a World Series? You think they're regretting that? No. No, they they're not regretting they it. So let's not worry about money anymore. We're not worried about that anymore. We don't have to worry about that anymore because you have no regrets when you win a World Series. You don't. You, you, you forget about that. You don't even have to worry about it. So the, the market is going to move slow. We all knew that. And, uh, you know, that plays into the Mets' hands as well because of the fact that they still haven't uh, hired a general manager or president of baseball operations. Now, we do not know if they're going to hire one guy who has both titles. I know, like, Brian Cashman is one guy who falls under both titles. So we don't exactly know that what their plan of action is going to be. Um, but Sandy Alderson did also say in his press conference yesterday that expect that process to be done sooner rather than later. Um, they interviewed one person on Saturday. That was confirmed. Uh, Andy Martino from SNY is reporting that they interviewed another candidate today. And there's a list of candidates that they're still waiting for permission from other teams to be able to interview. So you can expect this process maybe to be cleared up within the next week or so. And then I believe I, it's all hands on deck. I, I don't think it's going to even take that long. I think they want to get right into this free agency right away and start things moving. I, I really do. So I, I would have to think you'll get... You'll get some sort of clarity uh, today's Wednesday. I don't just guarantee by Monday you might get some sort of clarity here because I think they want this process to move, make a decision, let's go, let's get into this team and this roster now. I now really by, do. Now, by clarity, you mean a hire or maybe a list of finalists? of confirmed A hire. Finalists? A hire. A yeah. hire. A hire. Believe me, they're going to get through this process. They're going to know what they want. They're going to get through this process and get this roster construction going. Believe me. And listen, there's no player out there that's not going to that's going to sign unless they get some sort of ridiculous deal without having the Mets first go to the Mets first, because obviously that's where the money's at right now. And Steve Cohen did not have to, you know, he didn't have to sacrifice the losses in this past season that other owners did. So he didn't have to do that. Uh, so, you know, but, you know, one other thing that was brought up by Sandy Alderson after the fact was that after the press conference is over, he actually got a text message from a, a, a player's agent and said, my player asked to reach out with you. He's inspired by everything right now. So give us a call. Now, what player that is, we don't know. As well as certain executives got in touch with Sandy Ellison as well and said, hey, this whole metal organization and their fan base should be dancing in the streets right now. So and basically congratulating Sandy Alderson. So, you know, it, it's it's a good time for Met fan, for Met fans. And you know what? There's nothing to cry about anymore for Met fans. We have nothing to cry about. No. Nothing. And I, there's, I, I, there's no more there's no more crying about money. There's no more crying about anything. Wins, loss, nothing. Can't cry, can't make excuses. Everything's in front of us right now. Everything. So I, I woke up this morning, I said to my father, I said, Can, do you realize and and I don't think we're at this point yet. And maybe we will be after the offseason moves. We don't know what moves they're going to make. But you realize with Cohen in charge, there's going to be a point, whether it's in, in in a couple of weeks or whether it takes a couple of years, they're going to be at the point where it's championship or bust. And for a team it, that was always it, penny pinching and always taking taking the, the, the guys off the scrap heap from other teams and patchworking a team together to turn into championship or bust is all, all you ever wanted. Exactly. Oh, yeah, as, as a fan of any team in any sport, that's exactly what you want from your team. Championship or bust. That's what the, you know what? I've been I've been grateful. As far as football is concerned, 
that's been the Steelers' mo. I mean, in the early years when I was first, I was born in '97. In the first couple of years, the Steelers were not very good. They were a six and ten team. I wasn't really into football back then, as you know, I was too young. But since I've been old enough to fully understand and fully get invested in the team, they've been championship robust. And guess what? You're not going to win a lot of championship. You're not going to win a championship every year, right? As Rob said before, no team has ever done it. So there has been a lot of disappointment. But you know what? Going into a season with hope and going into the season with a standard that's supposed to be met is all you ask for. You know, and and, and it's it's funny because I said, you know, Steve Cohen had a good press conference. It's, it hopefully is a sign of good things to come. You know, I thought that Brody Van Wagner nailed his press conference two years ago, too. I thought he said a couple of good things. Yeah, he was, thing- a, he was a, he was a, he was a, he was unrealistic. We're going to win a chip. We're going to look to win a championship every single year. The fluids half to the top. It was a little douchey. You, you know, know what? It was, my, it was a little my, douchey. My, my main point, though, hear me out. My main point is that Brody said something that was the best thing he could have ever said. He ultimately didn't act on it, but this is what he said that stuck out to me. He said, this team for the past couple of seasons has been predicated on a bunch of ifs. If this guy performs this well, if this guy comes back from an injury and performs, if this guy gets a little bit better than last season, our job is to try to eliminate those ifs. And I love that he said that. He didn't act on it. He was like a politician. It was all he a bunch act, of BS. He didn't, he didn't act on it because he didn't have the money to act on it. He well, wasn't now given, you had the money to he, act on it. He now wasn't given eliminate those He ends. was never given the resources. So that was a false confidence. And you know what he did? He was a politician then. He sold us a lot of bullshit because he was a politician. Because you damn well know you were, you were, you were so buddy-buddy with, with, with Jeff Wilpon. You damn well knew they weren't going to put the resources out there unless they blatantly lied to you too. But you damn well knew that. So you just gave us a line of crap as, as any politician would give us. That's all he ever gave us. That's it. But we don't have to worry about that anymore because that's not happening yeah, anymore. Now, that, now, there, now there's no more ifs. That, that's, that's the bottom line. Now there's no more ifs. It's not being hopeful that this guy can replicate a career season that he had or hoping that this guy can bounce back from an injury. It's, it's, it's not like that anymore. And Steve Cohen said himself, and you've heard from sources, He's the kind of guy who, if things aren't getting done up to standard, he's going to address it. And so if this team is not performing the way that they're supposed to, or they're deficient in some areas, he's going to step up and do everything it takes to make a change and improve it. I'm telling you, it's not just because we're diehard Mets fans. Some Yankee fans might get, be getting to listening to this, but here's the deal. This is a monumental day. The Yankee fans have been spoiled. I promise you, Yankees fans, if if the Yankees were owned by Fred and Jeff Wilpon for these past 20 seasons and you got Steve Cohen, you'd be feeling the exact same. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? They'd be dancing in the streets. But look, you know, all you, all, look, all you need to do to look for an example as to not spend like a drunken sailor, as Steve Cohen said it, is to look what the Yankees did with Giancarlo Stanton and bring him over. Now, listen, they got him for next to nothing. But look at that contract now. Don't you think the, the Yankees would do anything to rid themselves of that contract? Anything to rid themselves of that contract. Anything. To a man, every single Yankee, every single Yankee executive in that organization, to a man, would love to rid themselves of Giancarlo Stanton's oh, they, contract. They, they, they and, murder and, to and, get rid and of they, And they took it on because why? Why? Because they can. So these, these are some of the obstacles 
you have to watch out for. You don't need to do things like that. Something like that is irresponsible. Yeah, but guess what, Rob? Guess what? Here's the biggest. Here's the biggest thing with that. That Giancarlo Stanton contract is an albatross. It's awful. Did it stop them from going out the next offseason and signing Garrett Cole? No, no, it didn't. But now look what's happening now. Now all of a sudden they're, they're starting to, you know, they're starting to see they're not getting the results that they want. Even with Garrett Cole now, they're not getting the results that they want. They have an entire pitching staff that they have to put behind Garrett Cole now. And who are you going to put? Debbie Garcia? Clark Schmidt? Who are you putting back there? Who are you putting? All of a sudden now they're looking, they're looking at teams that they're getting beat by, and they're getting beat by teams with, with significantly lower payrolls. Teams that are winning 90-95 games like the Yankees are and getting as far as the Yankees are in the playoffs. So this is the problem. Now Hal Steinbrenner is starting to look at things and saying, all right, I'm spending $250 million, $225 million. I'm paying all this luxury tax. So all these other teams, they're winning as many games as us. And we're not winning anything anymore. Yes, we're making the playoffs, but the Yankees are about championships. Just like we want the Mets to be about now. It's about championships now. It's no longer just, you know, making a playoffs, winning a division, and winning a round or two, and not winning a World Series. It's, it's unacceptable to the Yankees. And I don't blame Hal Steinbrenner, because now he's saying, okay, what results am I getting for my money now? So they took on this Giancarlo Stanton contract, and, and it's been nothing but an albatross. And not only that, now you're going to have to eventually pay Aaron Judge. They're not, going, they're not going to. I, I'll, I'll well, bet my entire life savings then, that Aaron Judge is not a Yankee. If they're not going to, then you might as well trade him this offseason. Uh, you know, you might as well. Yeah, and some team will get a couple of years out of him, just having to pay whatever arbitration monies they have to pay him and get a couple of years out of him. Because otherwise, don't wait until the last second to, 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 for Aaron Judge. He's not even staying healthy. But they are not trading Aaron Judge anytime soon. That's not happening. They're not trading him. He's the face of the franchise. As much as he's always he's always been hurt, he's always been hurt, you know. So, you know, but guys like Glide, you know, don't forget Aaron Judge. By the time he becomes a free agent, he's going to be just about thirty years old. Aaron Judge was not twenty one when he came up. He was not twenty two. He was twenty three, twenty four, actually. Six you know years for six that's, years. You're a free agent. That's thirty years old. That that's part of the reason why I think that uh, trading for and signing. Lindor to an extension is totally worth it because he's going to be 27 entering for free agency. Oh, for Francisco the Mets. Lindor. That's why I think that that investment is worth it because that's a guy who's only 27. Yeah, and he he doesn't have that sort of that that muscular sort of body like Aaron, the Aaron Judges and Giancarlo Stanton's have. Look at the way their bodies break down on them. Too big. They're too big. They're they're too big, Andrew. It's not what they'll calf injury, muscle injury, ass injury, eyelid injury, ear injury, you know, foot injury, this injury, another injury. I mean, come on, it's enough already. It, it's all soft injuries. It's not like a broken leg. I mean, God forbid, I would never wish that on anybody, but I'm just saying these are all like soft tissue to sort of injuries that are keeping them out for four, five, six weeks. A wrist injury. I mean, come on, it's enough already. You know, these are some of your better plays, and you're not even getting them in a the lineup. I don't blame Hal Steinbrenner to a certain degree because what's happening with the Yankees now is, you know, the Yankees feel like they're developing players, but I've told you before, the Yankee organization, as far as developing players, they can bring guys up and guys could, could definitely, you know, fit in on a Yankee team because 
it's easy to fit in when you're when you're with a bunch of guys that are above average ball players. It is. But who have the Yankees developed over the last 10 years that's come in and been a superstar? Who have they developed from their organization? Who have they developed? Gary Sanchez? No. Luke Voigt? No. DJ LeMahieu? No. Gleyber Torres? No. Gia Ursula? No. Aaron Hicks? No. Aaron Judge? He ain't no superstar yet. You got to stay healthy. You got to stay healthy. Gary Sanchez? Eh, not happening. So who they developed? What pitcher have they developed over the last 15 years? What pitcher? Where's their pitching staff? Andy Pettit was the last one. Right. So where, where's all this development from the Yankees? Where's all these great all these great prospects? And what's all I ever hear? The great prospect the Yankees have coming up. Debbie Garcia. Clark, well, where the hell are they? Where's all the superstars from the past I've heard about? All the great Yankees. It's, it's overrated. The Yankees bring guys up and guys fit in because it's the Yankee team. It's, it's a great team that's built around these kids that are coming up. But you bring these kids up with, a, with, with an organization that's a below 500 organization. You know what? They suck. That's what it comes down to. So let me know where all this development is for the Yankees. Because where's the homegrown Yankees on this team? Somebody tell me. Besides Aaron Judge, you want to? I'll give you Aaron Judge. Where's the homegrown Yankees? Where are they? No, I remember. Uh, what was it about three years ago? Right when when the Yankees were were struggling for pitching, as they always are and have been for years. And uh, Garrett Cole was still on the Pittsburgh Pirates, and and he was like the prized uh, trade deadline acquisition that everybody was going to be going for. And I remember hearing, you know, listening to talk radio about Yankee fans saying, I don't want any part of Garrett Cole. Why, why would we give up Chance Adams in a trade for Garrett Cole? Uh, yeah, Chance Adams? Adams. Oh, yeah, where's he's just, great. Where's Justice yeah. Sheffield? Where's Estevan yeah. Floreal? Where are all these guys? I think Chance Adams drove the Uber, was driving the Uber that I called the other day. <laughs> That's where Chance Adams is. I mean, stop. Let's stop. Justice Sheffield got traded, went to the Mariners in that trade. You know, at best, maybe a fourth or fifth starter, at best. I'm telling you, I've told you this before in the past. There, it's an old. They they develop certain plays that that are just good enough because they're the Yankees, and the Yankees again have a great organization as far as talent that they bring in, but not talent that they develop so much. And yet, every single year, I hear about how wonderful the Yankee organization is. Well, I see how wonderful the Dodger organization is because I can see the developing the the plays they developed on the field winning a championship. I've seen that. I've seen, you know, the four World Series the Dodgers have been to over the last few years. I've seen that. I haven't seen jack shit from the Yankees. So please, let's stop with the whole Yankee farm system. Let's stop. Stop. So we're, we're going to move on to football. But before we go, I do have a quick little rapid fire for you. And it's all, and, and obviously this is all a guessing game, but... I'm going to name a free agent. You tell me what team you think they ultimately end up signing with. Sound fair? Yeah. Trevor Bauer. Mets. JT Realmuto. I think he goes back to the Phillies. DJ LeMayhew. He goes back to the Yankees. Yankees need to sign him. James McCann. Uh, you know, McCann's a tough one, man. 
I, I would say the Mets, depending upon the deal, because he's perfect for the Mets. You know, if it's three years, $27 million, I would take that. I, I would take that. So I'm going to go with the Mets. George Springer. I, I got a dark horse team here that might sign him. And I'm thinking the Boston Red Sox. A George Springer, yeah? Yeah. And I'm thinking the Mets either bring in Jackie Bradley Jr. or Kevin Pillar, something to that effect. Especially if they sign Bauer, they sign McCann, and then they bring in Lindor. There's nothing wrong with McCann behind the plate, Lindor at short, and Jackie Bradley Jr., you know, in center, let's say. I mean, I, I just I just feel that you know, with the catching market the way it is. And if the Mets sign Bauer, so if, if the Mets sign Bauer, it, it, to me, it's going to take Springer out of the equation. It, it'll take him out of the equation. I think they bring in McCann, and I think ultimately they do make the deal for Lindor, in my opinion. I, I do feel that way. But you know what? The Red Sox, you know, they brought back Alex Cora this week. Um, so I, I think the Red Sox are going to look to spend a little bit of money would not shock me if Springer wound up on the Red Sox at all. Would not. Got a couple of different wild cards that we really haven't spoke of yet. Marcelo Zuna. Yeah, he's weird. You know what the problem with Azuna is? I I'm going to tell you Azuna. I'm going to tell you a good spot for Azuna. Minnesota Twins. Yep. Because they're, they're, they're not bringing back Nelson Cruz. He's not great defensively anymore, Marcelo Zuna. Not that he was great in his years prior to his sur surgery, but he could also DH. He's a good bat. I'm, I'm thinking Minnesota Twins, Marcelo Zuna. Yeah, I'm thinking um, – I just don't know. I, I think he was a perfect fit in Atlanta, but I just don't know if they could fork up the cash. I don't think they want to fork up the cash. I think they feel like they got what they got out of him. They have Christian Christian Page coming up. You know, you got Ronald Acuna there. You know, you got probably maybe more, even Marquez coming back again. So maybe they bring back Marquez. You know, so I, I don't think I don't think the need for Azuna is there. And I also think that you know what? I think they got value out of Azuna on the one year. If you got to sign Azuna to three or four years, eh, eh, it's a little bit different. So I feel like the Braves probably said, okay, thank you. You gave us a big year here but for our one year, and I think they let him go. Yeah, yeah. I was actually reading an article. I think it was in The Athletic of all the, um, all the contracts and, and the uh, projected value of all the contracts and uh, actually saw Ozuna getting four years, $64 million. Yeah, no, but I'll tell you the truth. I'm telling you, he, he'd be a good fit. I, I think he'd be a better fit in the American League than the National League because then you could at least put him out of DH spot. I, I really feel up, that way. I brought up Atlanta, um, and I have one guy in mind uh, that I think that Atlanta is going to sign, and, I'll ha and I hate it. I wonder if you agree. I think that Atlanta is going to sign Charlie Morton. Uh, I, well, you know, look, M Morton wants to stay close to home. You know, He's 37 years old now. Uh, you know, he had he didn't have a great regular season. He was very good in the postseason. Again, Atlanta can make sense because it'll be close to his home in Florida. He pretty much wants to stay within that region there. So that, look, that wouldn't be 
that wouldn't be bad. Look, even gotta, the Marlins, remember, even the Marlins have, wouldn't be a bad fit for Charlie Morton. Well, think so, about Atlanta too. They have Soroka with the torn Achilles. You you can't expect him back anytime soon. So you have Max Reed, you have Ian right. Anderson, and then after that, no, that could make sense. You know, on a one year, on a one year, eight million dollar deal, ten million dollar deal. Why not for Charlie Morton? He's thirty seven years old. Look, as a back end starter, you know he's got. You got to make sure that guy's going to be a back end starter though, because he's not a front line starter anymore. Charlie Morton. He was terrific in the playoffs again, but he was not that good in a regular season. He is thirty seven years old, but you know I, I think on a one year deal, Braves can make sense. Again, the Marlins can make sense. Going back to the Rays can make sense because he again he wants to stay within that area because that's where his family is at now. So yeah, well, it's not like the Rays don't want him. I just don't think the Rays. Yeah, the Rays didn't want him at dollars. that money, right? They didn't want to pay him that money. So right, similar to the Yankees with Brett right. Gardner. I think the Yankees right. want Brett Gardner back, just not for the ten million dollars that they owed him. Right, right. Um, D.D. Gregorius. That's an interesting scenario because you know what's crazy is that he could actually wind up back with the Yankees again. I've been saying and, that and, a while. And, and he can't because, as I told you a couple episodes ago, I thought they were going to deal Luke Voigt because I think now's the time to deal Luke Voigt. Because Luke Voigt, listen, there's deficiencies in Luke Voigt's game. He's not that good defensively at first base. You know, you got you got out of him with the power. He's another guy that's probably better off as a DH somewhere in the American League, whatever it may be. You could probably deal him because, you know, he's at his, his, you know, his peak value right now. So you could probably – he's not making a lot of money. If you sign LeMayhu, you could you could put LeMayhu at first, move Torres back to second, which he was much better there. He was, he was below average defensively at shortstop. And you could bring Didi back because the Yankees definitely can use a left-handed bat, and Didi can hold his own at shortstop. So – uh, you know what? For the hell of it, I'm going to go. He goes back to the Yankees. Okay, so then let me bring up another Yankee, Masahiro Tanaka. I think he goes back to the Yankees. I think the Yankees need him. I think he goes back on a one-year deal. See, but, you know, here's the thing. When you're a franchise who makes the money hand, and I know that there were no fans in the stands, right? So the Yankees suffered just as much as all the other teams do, did as far as lack of revenue, but it didn't hurt them as much because they bring in more money and, and – normal years than the other teams do. But how can you sell it to your fan base if you continue to fall short and the only moves you make in the offseason are just bringing a couple guys back? Well, first of all, you, uh, first of all, bring it, bring it back LeMay, who, you know, he's a top three finalist for the MVP. So there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, bring it back Tanaka is just a need. It's a need for the Yankees. You know, it's a need. So, but so, if you're a Yankee fan, here's my point though. If you if you're a Yankees fan and you go into the 2021 season and and, and the whole beacon of hope for climbing over that hump is hoping that Severino is able to rebound from Tommy John surgery, like that that's the only addition to the team that you can yeah. hope for. I don't know how you can be thrilled as a fan base with that. This is what happens when you overspend and you have Giancarlo's contract, and then you have arbitration salaries coming up for Gleyber Torres and Aaron Judge. You know, you got to take that into account also. This is what happens. And then you could have Luke Voigt for that matter. You know, so this is what's going to happen. I, I, yeah, for the Yankees, it's probably, for the Yankee fan base, it's probably a stale look. But, you know, look, they're, they're not getting Francisco Lindor. So any Yankee fan that thinks you have a chance of getting Francisco Lindor, Throw it out the window. Because if you think the Cleveland Indians, who still want to stay in contention, are going to trade Francisco Lindor to the Yankees, you're out of your mind. Because the Yankees do not have anything close to what the Cleveland Indians want. 
unless they're going to give up Gleyber Torres. Yeah, there's so a 0% chance. If, if you, the they, are, they are not getting Francisco Lindor. Not happening. And more than likely, Lindor is going to be traded to the National League. So, you know, the Cleveland Indians still have aspirations of contending. They're not going to go look to help, you know, another, another organization in the American League, uh, you know, uh, um, sending Francisco Lindore. Not going to happen. Here's another weird one for you that not a lot of people have mentioned, but he's a fine player. Marcus Simeon. Yeah, he, you know what? He didn't have a good season. He came. It's coming off a bad season, though. You know, and again, it's 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 a pandemic season, so I'm giving all these guys a pass. But I'd have to think he goes back to the A's because coming off a bad season, you know, you know, you're out on the open market. You know, and Simeon's the type of guy, man. You, you just don't know what you're going to get out of him. I mean, the last couple of years he he's been good, but this past season, and again, I give guys a pass because of the pandemic. Um. You know, you just don't know what you're going to get out of him. So I think Simeon just stays with the A's. I think the A's, I, I, I think it's a, you know, I think they match up well. So I don't think he goes anywhere. You know, it's it's funny, though, because I think if he gets any multi-year deal, regardless of whether or not it's the value he was hoping for, I think he's got to take it because you're looking at a 2022 offseason where, A, you don't know if there's going to be fans in the stands in the 2021 season, so you don't know what the market's going to look like in 2022. You don't know uh, if there's going to be a labor stoppage or not. And let's just say, for the hell of it, that everything is back to normal and the market's fine. Well, you're going to be in a, in a free agent market with other shortstops like Corey Seager, like Javier Baez, like Carlos Correa, who are going to command probably more money than Simeon. So I think if he gets a multi-year deal offered to him by somebody this year, he's got to jump on it. I, I just don't know if he's going to get it. Who knows if it's going to be out there? You know, this again, it, it is not going to be a lot of multi-year multi-year deals out there. I think only the top-line players like Springer, Bauer, and Riamuto will probably uh, um, garner those those sort of deals. I don't think you're going to see the Marcus Simmons of the world and the Digu Gregoriuses of the world getting those sort of contracts. It's not going to happen. Those guys are going to have to sit on one-year deals. That's just the way it's going to be. Simeon's not getting I, – I sincerely doubt he'd get a multi-year deal. I really, really do. Not in this day and age. Not now. I don't think that's going to happen. I really don't. Yeah. I mean, look, look even, even James McCann, you know, I, was, I had him go, maybe going to the Mets. And I said, well, maybe three years, $27 because they, they were saying, you know, that's what it might take. But, you know, look, he, he's a decent bat. He's an above-average defensive catcher. But who's going to want to maybe spend, you know, put three years out there, twenty-seven million for a catcher, right now? You know, it might not be there. It well, might only be a look. It might only be a one-year deal, and guys might say, you know what, I'm just going to bank on myself, and 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 I'm going to play this season and see what happens in 2022, and then maybe I can get the big, you know, the big deal. But again, it's got to be a guy that's not, you know, 31, 32, 33 years old. You know, you get a guy that's 27, 28, they could do that. The article that I read has James McCann signing with the Phillies at two years, twenty million. And where's Ramuto going to the Mets? Five years, one hundred twenty-five million. Man, I don't, I don't want that. I, I, you know, I have a tough time paying to catch it that sort of money. And Ramuto is a gem. Don't get me wrong, 
you know, Eddie Coleman, you know, I heard Eddie Coleman, you know, this weekend, and Eddie Coleman was waxing poetic about Riomuto. He goes, he's not even just a great defensive catcher. He's a hell of a bat. He's got a ton of speed, and he's a voice in the locker room. He's a guy that commands respect, you know, and leadership and all that. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, look, to me, it's I mean, forget about the Strowman thing. I, I still think the Mets go after Bauer. I still think Bauer's on their radar. And if Bauer's on their radar, then it comes down to, I would have to think they still make a splash. And they still they still bring in a Springer or Remuto. Then, then it comes down to one or the other. Well, it comes down to one or the other. So, like hey. Rob said, you got you to gotta hope that... Um that the interview process and the hiring process for the new president of baseball operations is over by the end of the week. And then it's, and then they're going to hit the ground. I, running. I, I think it will Andrew only because I think the Mets are antsy right now to get, you know, to, to get this roster construction going. I now, really do. Here's a question for you, right? Let's say you said by Monday, that would be the date where you think we get an announcement of a hire. I would have to think they, they'll, they'll, they'll go through this process. They'll probably interview another guy tomorrow, another guy on Friday. Don't forget, these are all Zoom calls, which, believe it or not, benefits the Mets because now you're just going over a Zoom call. You don't have to have guys flying in, meeting them somewhere, going out to dinner, doing the whole thing. You're just talking them over a Zoom call now. Right. Which is a hell of a lot easier. In fact, you can interview three guys in one day now if you have to over a Zoom call. You know what I mean? So you could do that. See, that's, been in, the, that's, been, that's been the beauty of this podcast. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't have to get in person and see your mug in person anymore. Yeah, uh, listen, I, I I have a tough time looking at my mug too, so I don't blame <laughs> you there. <laughs> I mean, I concur. <laughs> so here's here's the question I was going to get at. Let's say let's say for argument's sake, Monday they hire a baseball about uh, base uh, president of baseball operations. Then I, I would have to think that a big move comes up within a week of that. No. I would have to think that they're probably already having discussions regardless of who, who they appoint as, you know, general manager, baseball operations. I think they would probably in their interviews, they might even mention names of free agents out there and engage the opinion of these, these guys that they're interviewing. Well, they have to. They they have to do that because if you remember, I mean, I I think that that's why Brody was hired in the first place. I think that they brought him in. Brody was able to sell to the Wilpons that they were right and that they could win with this team without having to spend a ton of money and they could be creative and make these trades. So I, I think whenever you're interviewing candidates for an open front office job, I think you're definitely throwing around names of potential targets, seeing if they agree that they would be good fits or what it would take to get them and things. Like, oh, I think all that stuff has to be discussed 100%. So whatever 100%. guy they bring in is going to be eager to hit the ground running too. Hundred percent, and and that's why I feel like, you know, as soon as soon as they, as soon as they appoint the the baseball operations and and um, and uh, the general manager, and they were even talking about maybe having two general managers, whatever it may be, whoever they need to appoint, I, I really think that they already have their ideas uh, in hand, and they know exactly what they want to do. And you'll probably start seeing, you know, names and numbers and contract being discussed by Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of next week. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. 
I okay. really, I just feel like the Mets want to get this process. Not that they're going to rush through it. They're going to do their due diligence, of course. But I really feel like the Mets want to have this wrapped up and not let this linger. And, you know, and just, you know, keep and drag this through next week, Wednesday, Thursday. I don't see this lasting another week. So we'll get into the football. We got Giants to get to. We got Jets to get to. But first things first. You remember I was talking about the decision to pull Blake Snell from the game and how it blew up in the Rays' face? You remember me saying that, right? Yes. Okay. You want to talk about something that blew up in somebody's face. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers minus four. Oh. Combusted. Caught flames. Lit the whole neighborhood on fire. Destroyed houses. Destroyed livelihoods. That was that was awful. That was awful by you. I tell you, it felt like a bus hit me. <laughs> I mean, the pain was less. The pain would have been less. The pain would have been less if I got hit by you. I was on it with you. I'm telling you, I I was shocked, and I'm telling you right now. That's two games in a row where Brady didn't play well because even against the Giants, Giants should have beat that team. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers got exposed the last couple of weeks, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But again, you know, this is something we discussed before the NFL season started, Andrew, before they even brought in Leonard Fournette, and then they brought in Leonard Fournette, before they brought in Antonio Brown, and they brought in Antonio Brown. You know, it, a lot of times when you try and put together these super teams, it backfires. And you can see Bruce Arians right now is a bit frustrated because I'm telling you right now, he threw Tom Brady under the bus after that game. Because he felt like he said, well, you know, I guess they were you know, talking about the usage of Mike Evans. And he basically said Mike Evans was open all night long. We just didn't get the ball to him. In fact, a lot of receivers were open all night long and we didn't get the ball to them. And that's kind of throwing Brady under the bus. And Bruce Arian is that sort of guy. You know, he he doesn't care what he says. He's not going to sit there and coddle Tom Brady. That ain't happening. Yeah, but at the same time, he's got to look in the mirror and the fact that they ran the ball four uh, times. A hundred percent. But uh, that game was 28 nothing. by the end of the first quarter. I mean, at that point, you're not running the ball. That, that game was so disjointed that you had no time to run. You had no chance to run the ball. They tried running the ball the first couple of series. Nothing. Uh, that was it. That game was just complete domination by Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints offense and New Orleans Saints defense. Complete domination. And they got exposed to Buccaneer defense. They got exposed. And the Giant defense exposed them because the Giants had a good offensive game plan against them. If Daniel Jones hits any one of those deep passes, it's a blowout. It's a blowout. Absolutely. And Brady, again, did not play well in that game either. No, Brady so, has not looked good. Everybody, I think everybody good. really overreacted when, and, and I think myself included because it was it was unreal. But when he played against the Raiders, who got I think the thirtieth ranked pass defense in the NFL, and he threw for three fifty and three scores, and he threw a couple of beautiful balls down the sideline, some deep balls, and I think everybody lost their minds. And also. When the Bucks defense shut down Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, everybody lost their minds about that defense. That defense has been horrendous for three weeks in a row. Horrendous. The defense yeah. is not that good. Yeah. It's not that good. Not and people that good. are talking about it like it's on, it's, on, it's on par with the best defenses in the NFL. It's not. It's not even close. It's not even close. Not even close. 
And, and you know, and, and again, they bring in Antonio Brown, which I didn't agree with. And I didn't, and, I, and you know, I didn't agree with the Kansas City Chiefs bringing in Le'Veon Bell. Has he looked? That I haven't used him. Has, has, they haven't even used Alain. Well, I mean, what, what, you know, I don't understand what Andy Reid's doing. What are you doing? Because let me tell you something. You know, they, they, look, they're winning games and they're scoring points. But if anybody's watching the Chiefs, they're struggling offensively. They're putting up points ultimately towards the end of games. But they, you know, they they're another team. They're a little in disarray offensively here. They really are because they didn't put they weren't putting up points against the Panthers until late third quarter. Yeah, and so, and, and you got to remember too the game against the Broncos where they put up forty two. I mean, seven of those points were on a pick six. Another seven were on a kick return for a touchdown. Did you need Le'Veon Bell? Did you win a Super Bowl last year with a running back like Le'Veon Bell? Damian Williams was your running back. So yeah, you didn't you already, need Levy on the belt. And you already found an upgrade from Williams and Hilaire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know, play are, him. I was I was for them signing Bell. I, I I thought that it would be a good I was move, not. but they're not they're not utilizing him Andrew, the way that I, I thought watched, they would. I watch jet games and I don't care how bad a bad a jet team is, I've seen good running backs run on bad teams. I've seen them been, been able to make plays plenty of times. We've all seen it in the NFL. He was absolutely horrendous on the Jets. It wasn't that he wasn't interested. He is not the same player that he was. Not even close. Not even close. He's not even close. And he's like that with the Chiefs now. He's not even close to being a player that he was. Not even close. So, you know, again, I, I didn't agree with them bringing him in. He, I, he, looked, like, he looked like garbage. They didn't want and they had him in a game, and... They were trying to, get, you know, they gave him a few plays when he was going backwards. I mean, same thing he did with the Jets. But yeah, I mean, look, the, the Giants, Giants got away with a win there against the Redskins. I mean, look, uh, did Daniel Jones play great? No, but he played a good game. A lot of people said, well, he just managed a game. He played it safe. Bullshit. He didn't do that either. He made some nice passes, not for Evan Ingram, pretending that his hands were above his were were inside of his face mask. He would have had a few more completions. Probably would have put the game away a lot sooner than having to wait for a Logan Ryan interception with with two minutes left. So you know, uh, Daniel Jones played a good game, and he was the bottom line: zero turnovers. And he took a blindside. He took a blindside hit sack that he held onto the ball, which were good signs. So any game you can get out of him without a turnover is progress. And so maybe he takes another stepping stone this week to have a big game against the Eagles. Believe it or not, they win the game. They're right there in first place for the division. Laugh if you want, but it is what it is. And if somehow, some way, they can get a home playoff game out of this ridiculous season, you know, you never know. But I'm seeing progress with the Giants, and I absolutely loved what Joe Judge did with the Golden Tate situation. And I told you from the get-go, Andrew, when he was, you know, during training camp, what did I tell you about him building a culture and building an identity with these guys? I told you that. And that's exactly what he did to a veteran receiver who bitched on the sidelines, bitched to the camera about getting the ball, give me the ball. Then his wife comes out and starts bitching herself on Instagram, you know, you know, in, 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 in response to a husband not getting the ball and defending a husband. And Joe Judge had none of it. You know what? Stay home. Because now you set precedent. That's a veteran receiver who's had some big years in the NFL, Golden Tate. 
You set a precedent now to any one of those young players out there. And who stepped in? Austin Max stepped in, had a hell of a game. Kid caught four balls for 75 yards, just missed the touchdown. But, you know, this is the culture that you need to set. This is the identity. And let me tell you something. He's doing a hell of a job with this team. This team fights and plays hard to the end of the game, every game. They've been out of one game, the San Fran game. And credit to Jason Garrett, who especially the last couple of weeks that has, has had a terrific offensive game plan, and especially to Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator. Giant defense is playing excellent. For, considering the talent that they have or lack of talent, some people might want to say, on defense, they, I'll tell you, whatever schemes, you know, he, he's, he's, you know, play, game planning, uh, he's been on the money, Patrick Graham. Giant defense is playing well. So, look, they've lost eight straight to the Eagles, and I'm going to go on record as saying right now, they will not lose this game to the Eagles. They are winning this game. Mark it down. It's my guarantee. So you've had they, two big guarantees, and I disagree with both of them. Okay, you can disagree all you want. That's okay. I mean, I just haven't seen Daniel Jones beat anybody besides Washington, so I can't. Well, well listen, that uh, again, again, you know, everybody kills me when I when I see that statement. Well, he's won in 16 against the rest of the league. Well, no, there's 53 men on a roster. There's 53 guys that were responsible for those losses. Well, no, were, I'm not, I'm not picking it solely on Daniel it's Jones. Not a, it's not just – listen, Daniel, has Daniel Jones played well? We might have, he might have cost him a couple of games? Absolutely. Okay, There's so no, then I'll, I'll recraft, no denying that. I'll recraft that statement then. The Giants have not beat anybody besides Washington, so I can't see this weekend being any different. Okay, why? Well, what has the Eagles done? What has Carson Wentz done? Carson Wentz, you know, and people might wax poor. Carson Wentz is more of a turnover machine than Daniel Jones, and he's been in the league for four years. So he ain't no better than Daniel Jones, Carson Wentz. He should be better. He's got a better team around him. And he's done nothing. He's done nothing. The, Giant, the Giants have been in every single game against, except for that San Fran game. Carson Wentz has been terrible. And I don't care about the lack of weapons, whatever it may be. Bullshit. What the hell does Daniel Jones have? He's got a terrible offensive line. Who's playing better now? So now the offensive line is no longer an excuse for Daniel Jones, as far as I'm concerned. So I need to see this game against the Eagles. But I'm telling you right now, they're going to win this game because the Giants, more than anything, have been running the ball successfully here the last couple of weeks. And against a very good Washington defense and a very good defensive line, Giants ran that ball with Wayne Gallman and Alfred Morris. 134 yards rushing. And that's without padding the stats with Daniel Jones' uh, rushing yards because he didn't even run the ball, Daniel Jones. So... The offensive line has definitely played well uh, since they they put Matt Pert. They've been using Matt Pert there. They've been rotating him with Andrew Thomas. And and uh, Lemieux has taken a place of Will Hernandez, who have not come back. Uh, Dante Pettis was signed uh, as a waiver claim off the 49ers roster. So he can give him an element of speed, at least, that they could use. Um, so, look, I really feel like it's their time to beat the Eagles now. It's, it's enough. It's their time to beat the Eagles. So I'm telling you right now, they will beat the Eagles this week. If you say so. Yeah. I'm saying so. Listen, I think that Joe Judge has done a great job. And, and I've pointed out in the past that I think it's admirable that they're in all these games. And eventually, I think the tide will turn. And they'll realize how to win these close games that they've been in and had the opportunity to win. And instead of them being losses, they'll turn into wins. However, 
after a while, if they don't start turning into wins, then I think that that's an indictment on Dave Gettleman because they're competing and Joe Judge is getting the most out of these guys and they're just not talented enough, which means that Gettleman did not put together a good enough team. And we've talked about maybe his fate being sealed already. If they don't win a couple of games down the stretch here that they're in position to, like they have been in the first eight, nine weeks of the season, there's a bunch of games they've been in position to win. If they don't turn things around and start to win some of these games, I think Gettleman's a goner. I really do. Well, listen, Gettleman's, Gettleman's job's been in question. We, we all know that. You know, we see that. Joe Judge's job will not be in question. Not going to happen. He's got them, he's got them positioned to win games through and through. It's, it's only mistakes, mostly by his quarterback for the most part, that have cost him these games. So it's not the game plan. It's not anything. It's not a lack of effort. It's not anything like that that you're seeing from. In fact, they, they, they look like a well-coached team, the Giants. They really do. They do. They I agree. Like, they look like a well-coached team. They look like a team that, that gets it. There's been, no, there's been no problems with any sort of uh, uh, time clock management or any sort of indecisions or anything. In fact, the other day when, when, when a giant defense was kind of getting beat up on that fourth quarter, Joe Judge took off his headsets and, and brought the entire defense together and basically pasted into them. Like, let's win this game and get the hell out of here. It's up to you. You know, you've seen him on the sidelines. And I love that from a coach. I love it. I love it. So, and the players seem like they all love him right now. They all love him. They're playing hard for him. So, uh, look, again, they're giving me, I, I've told you this from the get-go. I just want to see progress. I, I gave them eight games to sort out all the, all the shit that happened with the pandemic and the fact that they couldn't practice, no training camps really, no preseason games. And I told you, second half, I want to see progress. I'm starting to see this I'm starting to see this progress now, probably from the last two or three games, where I've really, really seen some good progress. So and you got to hope that you continue to see it from Daniel Jones. I mean, I don't if he's game managing, it doesn't really matter to me. It's just you you cannot turn the ball over at the rate that Daniel Jones has been turning the ball over. And guess what? I know it was against Washington, who it seems like he's that's the only team that they've been able to beat over the past couple of seasons. But he didn't turn the ball over, and they won. And, and just a side note to kind of get away from the Giants for a second. Now that Kyle Allen got that brutal ankle injury, he's going to be out for the season. I, I, you, if you're Washington, I don't know if Ron Rivera is a podcast listener, but if he's listening, Ron, you, you got to start Dwayne Haskins. Not just be, not because I think Ron, Ron Rivera, you mean. Ron Rivera, you said Ron Washington, I think. <laughs> Ron Rivera. Yeah. They don't, like, they don't like Haskins. You know what? I get that. They don't like him. But there's an, it's, but it's you know not, what? It's, here's, here's the bottom line, Rob. This division is winnable, and I think that's the reason that they moved away from Haskins in the first place. However, it is abundantly clear, and I, it's a great story that he was able to come back. Alex Smith cannot play the position anymore. He can't do it. It's, just, it's, an, it's, it's, kind of, it's, it's embarrassing to watch. They can't listen, hang he, him out there to he, dry like that. He's no, awful. but he wasn't, he wasn't terrible, but I think everybody on the field is scared. When he's in a game, everybody's on the field is scared. You know, they're scared of him suffering an injury to that leg again. And nobody wants to. You want to be the guy in defense that sacks Alex Smith and, God forbid, he breaks his leg again or something. You want to be that guy. You want to be. You want to be the. You want to be the offensive lineman on his team that that lets a defensive lineman through. You know, misses the block or whatever, and and he gets blindsided and something happens to that leg again. 
I tell you, I was I was happy that he played well, Alex Smith. And he and he, listen, considering where he came from, eighteen surgeries, had to almost make a decision whether or not he he needed to have his leg amputated. Almost died from staph infection. He came a long way to doing what he did Sunday. So God bless him. But as far as playing Haskins, there's a problem in that organization with Haskins, and it's not about his talent level or anything. Not so much that. There's something going on with as far as a work ethic and a preparation. Preparing yourself. Because pretty much Ron Rivera and the general manager said, said as much. Because in, in the week that they benched him, they left him home. He wasn't even a backup. Yeah, and I know last week if they said if, if Alex Smith were to get hurt, then the tight end Logan Thomas was then they're going to be their quarterback. Yeah. Cause he was, a, he was, uh, I think in high school or college, he was a, uh, he, he was a quarterback. So. I don't know, man. I just, I just can't, I can't, I mean, the, the two interceptions that Smith throw Smith threw in that fourth quarter were, were just horrendous. He's never been a gunslinger. Right? He's always been that dink and dunk game manager. I don't even think he could do that anymore. He looks hesitant himself, and and I feel bad that I'm ripping him. I do because the the work he put in. Well, you shouldn't back, listen. Look, there's, there's no but, there's no ripping him. It's not it's not his fault. He wanted to go out and play. He wanted to give it a shot. He proved he proved what he had to prove. And again, uh, look to me, it's the responsibility of the, uh, of the Washington Football Team that right. uh, that's putting that's putting him out there in this position can, right that's, now. That, that's my main point is that they can't because you know, it, it's 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 not a good look. It's really not. They're not going to win anything with Alex Smith under center. They might no. not win anything with Dwayne Haskins under center, but you know what? You, you had no training camp with this kid. You have a new system and a new head coach, and you only gave the kid two games. Now, I was never a Haskins fan. I'm never really a fan of, of, of Ohio State quarterbacks. I think that Justin Fields could be an outlier because he's the best Ohio State quarterback I've seen, and he plays a little bit different style than any other Ohio State quarterback I've seen. But I knew coming out of college, I didn't think Haskins was any good. But you know what? You've just... You see what happened to Josh Rosen. Although he didn't play well in his limited time with the Cardinals, I mean, that kid is completely broken. He has no future in the NFL. The same thing is going to end up happening to Haskins. You can at least maybe salvage his value and maybe trade him in the offseason if you give him some snaps and give an opportunity for some teams to look at him and say, maybe there's something there. He just needs to get his head screwed on straight or we need to work with him on his maturity and stuff like that. But, I mean, you, you, you can't go out there with Alex Smith as, as the quarterback because, you know, like I said before, it's clear he can't play the position anymore. It's a, it, you're doing him a disservice by putting him out there in harm's way when he's obviously not equipped to do the job anymore. He's not as versatile and as quick and as agile as he once was. I mean, Rob, I'm watching him walk up and down the sidelines. He walks with a little bit of a noticeable limp. And he's playing quarterback in the NFL. No, he, of course, he's, he's going to have that limp. That limp is going to happen. You know, he's, he's never going to get rid of that limp. You have 18 surgeries. You're going to walk with a limp. I mean, again, look, I, I cringe when the guy's in the game because I just don't want to see anything bad happen to the guy. You know, I just don't want to see anything bad happen to him. Well, let's move so. on to the Jets. We'll, we'll touch on them. So Monday night, they have a game against the Patriots, a game that, to be quite honest with you, uh, I thought going in was a pretty winnable game. Uh, I think that this offense looks different with Joe Flacco in the game rather than Sam Darnold. Um, whether that's an indictment on Darnold or the coaching staff or, or whatever it is. Uh, but, but Flacco was a savvy veteran against a bad 
Patriots team, and even though the Patriots won that game, still does not take away from the fact that I think that they're bad. Um, and they were in position to win, and they have it. They have a a, a twenty or a twenty-seven seventeen lead in that game, and they let it slip away. I mean, the, the play calling was atrocious down a stretch of that game. They have a lead, and they decide to start taking shots down the field still. And it was clear that they were they were they were coaching to lose that game. They they coached it well enough to see what guys had in the beginning towards the end of that game. And there was no urgency to win that game. I really no, do they, think that they gave you, that game away on purpose. You really think they wanted to win that game? They didn't want to win that game. But you know, uh, and to be it, quite honest with you, I don't think the Patriots did either because Bill Belichick made some of the most head scratching coaching decisions I've ever seen him make. It, and let it, me tell you something: it, it 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 happened to work out for him. The clock management at the end of the game happened to work out, and they kicked the field goal. I thought his clock management was horrendous. I don't know how it did work out for him. I mean, you had a you had a third and one with 28 seconds left on the clock, and not even at midfield yet, and he runs a he runs a QB sneak up the middle, and it doesn't they don't have they don't have any timeouts. He doesn't call a timeout, so they rush up to the line of scrimmage to spike it on first down when they're just past midfield. I think they were at the 49 yard line. You basically had well, you had the one timeout to play with, and they were saving it to get into field goal range. But that that whole sequence was just head scratching to me. It really was. Yeah, I, I didn't make much. You know, look, I, I was just glad we got a an entertainment uh, an entertaining game that night. I, I I wasn't making much of either team and clock management. To be honest with you, I was just happy because I thought for sure we were going to get a blowout. You know, or or just a a shitty game. You know, I really, really did. So I was just happy. But you know, look, uh, do I think that Flacco is better for the for the Jets than Sam Donald? I, I don't think so. But I would like to see Dan- Sam Donald come back and play with the receivers that Flacco was able to play with. Because first of all, Denzel Mims, I thought, did a very good job. He looked good, Denzel Mims. Yeah, he looks like Den- a pretty good. Den- Denzel Mims looks like a pretty good receiver there. And he had Crowder, he had Brett Perriman, so he had his his you know his three his three top receivers coming into the season. Flacco had, and he looked good. But you know, look, he's still Joe Flacco. I thought the offensive line did a decent job, but you know, th- there's something concerning as far as you know the Jets might be have to be concerned about a little bit is that you know Mackay Becton was hurt again, and he's getting these little injuries here and there throughout this season. You got to hope this isn't something that kind of you know. Uh, is an outlier for his career right now. Oh no, so, I, I, I think know, it's. I think you put that all on the Jets for continuing to put him out there. Yeah, it's clear. this uh, maybe, kid hasn't been healthy in five weeks, and they just continue to put. But him something's out there. going on because first it was his shoulder, and then they said it was some sort of a chest injury that he was having problems breathing, but they said it wasn't muscular. So now I'm saying, wait a second, it's a it's a chest injury. He's having problems breathing, but it's not muscular. I, you know, a little confusing there. So, leave it to uh, you the know, Jets to leave you bamboozled. Well, if that's the case, and just sit the kid out and rest him. If if he's not healthy by the end of the year, then so be it. Bring him back next year. But he's a big boy, man. I, I look, he's a big, big boy. And I'll tell you the truth. In my opinion, I think that guy needs to drop a few pounds. <laughs> I don't know. He's a big, big kid, man. I don't know. I just feel like that kid could be in a little bit of better shape. You know, my biggest question with that game was I I just can't figure out the fact that the offense, and not that it was overly imaginative now, but the offense has always been so bland. They don't stretch the field. They don't throw the ball down a field. And 
you had Sam Darnold who got hurt against the Broncos. Looked like he separated his shoulder. He goes into the tent, and they rush to get him back in the game. And they couldn't wait to get Darnold back into that game against the Broncos. So it's not like you think Flacco is better than Darnold. They rushed Darnold back into that game a few weeks ago. Yeah, now you I have Darnold out. Flacco's, Flacco's in the game. And now all of a sudden, they're throwing a ball down the field. And I know that Dowell Loggins is calling the plays now, but it's still the same playbook. No, no, but again, Andrew, it's the receivers he's got there. Donald has not had these receivers with him in any game he's played. Well, he's he basically hasn't had, just he had, hasn't had Mims, but he's had Perriman. But he's had no Perriman. Perriman is who he was throwing the ball. Perriman's Flacco been out. Perriman. Perriman's been out of games. He's been out. He's missed like three or four games, and even in games that he did play, he left the games early. He hasn't had the complement of of receivers that Flacco had. I'd like to see Donald play with Mims. I just want to see what he does again. You know, at the end of the season, and and they have the number one pick. Donald's not going to be here. It's not even in question. I just like to see what the kid could do, just with his complimentary receivers there. And you know what? For the for the love of God. Could you please stop giving a ball to Frank Gore? Jesus H. Christ, stop already. My God, he's 37 years old. The career is done. It's done. Can you see what Michael Perrine has, for God's sake? Could you give the kid the ball and give him some volume? Do we need to see Frank Gore? We don't need to see Frank Gore anymore. There's no need to see Frank Gore. You don't need a leader on an 0-9 team. You don't need it. Enough. It's enough. Get the young kid in there. See what Perrine has. See what he can do. Give him some touches. Give him some volume, for God's sake. I just don't understand. Frank Gore, Frank Gore, Frank Gore. Oh, my God. It's enough for Frank Gore. Had enough. I mean, seriously. Now, you know what? It's to the point where I hate Frank Gore. I've seen this over the last three or four years. He's on shit teams, and yet he still gets the ball. I don't understand. It's enough for Frank Gore. I mean, you're 37 years old. My God, please. It's enough. You've had a great career. You might go to the Hall of Fame. It's enough for you too, Frank Gore. I've had enough for Frank Gore. Enough. You, you know, I, I really, I really. My God. I do have to say this, though. Just thinking about it, I do think that Frank Gore would be an intriguing option for the Giants next year. No, no. <laughs> please, it's enough. Go out. Go out. That's it. It's enough. He's been on garbage teams for the last year, and he still gets the ball. It just doesn't make sense. It makes no sense. I'm seeing this kid. Art Marine was a fourth-round pick. But give him a chance. There's been plenty of fourth-round picks as running backs that have flourished in the NFL. Let the kid play. Could and Adam, you let Adam the Gay kid play? A few weeks ago, Adam Gay said, we need to get P. Ryan more involved. We need to see what the oh kid has. Oh, my God. The, the, very next God. Week, the very next week, they gave P. Ryan 10 God. carries. And, and i got to keep seeing Frank then. Gore. It's enough for Frank Gore. I'd rather see Al Gore. Oh, God, Lord. It drives me insane with this guy. I'm saying this guy should have retired three, four, five years ago. Ah, whatever. You feel better now? Ah, because you know what? It annoyed, it, it irks the crap out of me. Probably because I picked up Piran on a few leagues, but that's besides the point. <laughs> oh, so now, <laughs> so now we got down to the root of the problem. <laughs> no, but in all honesty, just... You know, if you're a Jet fan, I I'm not a Jet fan. I'm watching a game and I'm saying, why don't they give this kid the ball? Give him the ball 20, 22 times. Throw him the ball, P. Ron. He looked like he could catch the ball coming out of the backfield a couple of times. You know, game plan around him. See what he could do. You got Denzel Mims there. See if you can build this offense. See what you got coming into next year if you bring Trevor Lawrence in. See what you got, maybe. See what you got. 
You're doing this no justice. This is the perfect opportunity to see what these kids can do. Oh, well, I know something that's definitely going to get on your nerves, too, because it definitely got on mine. I didn't play him. He was on my bench. Didn't play him. But my running back, my running back uh, crew in fantasy is just as depleted as humanly possible this year. I had Christian McCaffrey, who finally came back, and now he's hurt again, and he's out this week. I had Austin Eckler, who got the hamstring and the knee injury, and he's been out for six weeks or five weeks now. I had Miles Gaskin, who got put on IR, and he's supposed to be out for three to four weeks. Please don't even tell me you got this guy on your bench because I'll, I'll, I'll wig out. Well, well I on. get a funny feeling who it is, but go ahead. I'll let you go on. So I, I, I also have Raheem Mostert, who I ended up dropping a couple weeks ago because right. he just keeps getting hurt with the ankle. So yeah, and he's out again this week. Yeah. Needless to say, my running back room is depleted, and I needed to pick up running backs, and there's none available. I mean, Devontae Freeman, who gets some good volume with the Giants, is available, but he's been out with an injury too. I mean, it's the year of injured running backs. So I just figure, you know what? Because of the depth, I'm going to pick up Joshua Kelly. So with Eckler being out, it's Justin Jackson and Joshua Kelly. And Justin Jackson gets hurt. He gets a mm-hmm. knee injury early in the game. First, first quarter, yeah. So they take Justin Jackson out. I'm like, oh, all right. This is for, this is time for Joshua Kelly to showcase himself, and maybe he gets some more yep. volume moving forward. No, instead they hand a ball to Kalen Balaj 17 times. Adam, uh, that's Adam that? Gase's favorite guy. That's his favorite guy. He loved that, that Kalen Balaj. Come on now, Kalen Balaj. That. What is that? Yeah. When he scored the when he scored the other day, I'm saying, wait a second. They were playing his true main Pope last week. I said, who the hell is this? And all of a sudden they said Kalen Balaj just picked up uh, this week. I said, again, this guy resurfaces with another team? Kalen Balazs? That's Adam Grace's guy. He loves that guy. So this is my luck, right? So I already told you, McCaffrey, Eckler, Mostert, Gaskin, all those guys hurt, right? I pick up, um, and oh, and then today, right? So now McCaffrey's out. I need to pick up a running back. My running backs, Eckler on IR, Gaskin on IR, Christian McCaffrey hurt. My only running back right now is Antonio Gibson. I'm at work before. I get an alert on my phone. Antonio Gibson does not practice today. Yeah, he got a shoulder injury. And McCaffrey's out for a couple of weeks, it looks like, too. So now I'm like, great. 30 minutes later, I get an alert. Cooper Cup did not practice this today. Uh, I think he might have had a shoulder injury, too. No, he was limited. He's got a. I, I got Cooper Cup on a couple of teams, but no, he's he's limited with a wrist injury. But you know, you, you gotta you gotta be careful with these Wednesday injury designations. The Wednesday means nothing as long as they get it a limited practice Thursday, limited practice Friday. These guys play. Believe me, trust me when I tell you that. Oh, and I also yeah. forgot to mention the fact that Travis Kelsey is on a bye, so I have Noah Fant who. Injured his ankle last week. And yeah, Noah Fant always gets hurt. He's always no, hurt. I Noah mean, Fant. This is, I just can't even, I can't even believe it. You know what? Somehow I was able to stay afloat. I'm in third place now. I was not eighth a couple weeks ago. I've won four weeks in a row with a patchwork team. I've gotten up, finally got McCaffrey healthy, and, and I'm five and four, so I'm in third place. This league is very, very competitive. Everyone's in the same boat, really. Um, and now all my guys are starting to drop like flies again. It just has not been a good, good year in fantasy for either of my teams. But guys are getting hurt. I mean, I got... I, my first pick in one league was Christian McCaffrey, who was out for six weeks. My first pick in my other league was Michael Thomas, who first he hurts his ankle. Then he gets suspended because he punches a teammate in the head at practice. And then he hurts his hamstring. And he's finally back, thank God. But, I mean, you, you, can't, you can't make this stuff up with these guys. It's unbelievable. 
Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of there's a, listen. There's been a lot of injuries in the NFL. Everybody's dealing with it. You know, now you got the bye weeks coming into play and the COVID situations coming into play. That's why you got to have depth on your team. You know, everybody's looking to trade their depth. I would say in fantasy, I would recommend not trading your depth, but keep your depth because that's what's going to keep you afloat. You know, in lean times when you have injuries and you have bye weeks. You know, a lot of times people say, "Oh, I got enough running backs. Yeah, I could deal these guys. I could deal two running backs." But it's keep your depth. Keep your depth. Very important in this in, in in this season, this sort of fantasy season, especially when you have depth and now you you know you got other teams that are facing injuries, you got other teams that are facing bye weeks, that depth comes into play. So, you know, but uh yeah, yeah, I mean, listen, that I tell you the truth. The one game I thought was gonna be the blowout that I wasn't going to enjoy the game, because I was looking forward to the Tampa Bay. New Orleans Saint game, as we talked about a little earlier, was the, was the Dallas Pittsburgh game, and I'll tell you, yeah, you know, all the credit to Dallas and and uh, and Garrett Gilbert, uh, who, who really distinguished himself pretty well, actually, because you got to figure if they would have played him against the Eagles, Dallas probably would have won that game against the Eagles, because Garrett Gilbert actually did a pretty decent job against a tough Pittsburgh defense. But and if one thing that could be proven against the Steelers defense is as much as you can't run on them. You could throw on them. So, um, but, you know, the, the Steelers came back with the win, and they got a COVID situation themselves with uh, Vance McDonald coming out with the COVID, and now that uh, Roethlisberger is on the reserve COVID list because he locked his next to him and sat next to him on the plane. So he's going to have to pass a couple of the tests. But I'll tell you the truth, Steelers are in trouble this week if they need Mason Rudolph, the quarterback, because I'm telling you something right now. That kid stinks. Let me tell you something. I'm very, very nervous for the past couple weeks when there's been, you know, obviously the lines for the games open up and they open. And then if there's a COVID scare, particularly with a skill position player like a quarterback, the line gets taken down. Now you saw it last week specifically with the Vikings and Lions. Vikings opened up as a, as a, I think it was a three point favorite. It went up to four, right? And then Matthew Stafford got put on the reserve list. And that line got taken off the board until Stafford got the negative test on Sunday. It was confirmed that he was playing. Then the line opened back up again, and it was four, right? Pittsburgh against the Bengals. Pittsburgh opens up as a 10.5-point favorite, right? Roethlisberger gets put on the reserve COVID list. The line gets taken off, and now the line is back up today, and it's only 6.5. That scares me a little bit. Do they know something that not everybody else knows? Uh, I, I'm, I tell you the truth. I'm shocked that they even have a line. I'm looking over here. Let me see. Uh, let me see. Yeah, they have steel of seven and a half here. Um, I, I, I'm shocked that they even have a line right now because Rothenberg is going to have to pass a couple of tests. And not only that, he's not even going to be practicing. See, I think what they, what they're saying right now is, you know, even like Stafford, I mean, Look, what a quarterback can't uh, look. I, I understand Roethlisberger and Stafford are veteran quarterbacks. You still need to practice during the week. Oh, Stafford was awful with no practice. He was awful, and, and you know Stafford's highly overrated anyway. But that's besides the point. But even a guy like Roethlisberger, you still need to game plan. You know, and to run some practice drills with your guys during the week. You know, it's very difficult for these guys. I don't care who you are to not practice the entire week and then just game day. Flip the switch, and now you you know you're quarterbacking. 
So the line might be reflecting that uh, for sure. Um, so I don't know. But, you know, I want to get into that Seahawks-Bill game because I know, look, the Seahawks were my pick to go to the Super Bowl against the Chiefs in the beginning of the season. And I'll tell you right now, that Seahawks defense, my God. Man, they are bad. I mean, I knew they weren't going to be good coming in. I knew it would be an issue. I didn't think it would be this bad. And you see Jamal Adams with his first game back really had a good game, but you know, he was kind of getting a little animated with Pete Carroll and some of the defensive and, and some of the defensive coaches on the sideline about certain coverages. And uh, you know, the Seahawks are really gonna have to write the ship defensively because I'll tell you right now, you know, Josh Allen got healthy against the Seahawks. And, you know, Seahawks going to play the Rams this week. And, you know, I'm not going to say it's a must win, but as far as the division is concerned, you know, Rams win that game. They can take a little control over that division. Uh, so, but uh, I yeah, like Josh Allen. In that game too. I, I like the Rams in that game too, but you never count Russell Wilson out, you know. But, again, you know, Jared Goff, you never know what you're going to get from him. You never know. And if McVay comes into this game trying to establish a running game, he's a complete and utter moron. And I don't want to hear the boy genius tag on him anymore because everybody and their mother is throwing on the Seahawks. If you got a chance to put up 40, 44 like the Bills did, then you know what? Put Malcolm Brown and Daryl Henderson away. Put him away and throw the ball down the field. Throw the ball down the field against the Seahawks, please. You know, he has, he has to try to establish the running game because or else golf is ineffective. He needs to play action to be able to be effective. Andrew, right? it's the Seattle Seahawks. I can understand if it's a Pittsburgh Steelers defense, the Baltimore Raven defense. I get it. This is the Seahawks defense. You don't need play action. You could basically tell them the plays you're running and still complete a pass. Yeah. Uh, well, you're asking a lot of Jared Goff. I don't think he's that good of a quarterback. Well, look, he, he wasn't terrible a couple of years ago. He was good a couple of years ago. He was very good a couple of years ago. You know, so he, he was very good. So, you know, I'm not saying he's a, a great quarterback right now, but let me tell you something. You don't have to be a great quarterback to throw against a Seahawks defense. So, and he's got weapons there. So you don't have to be great against a Seahawks defense. So you know what? Let him throw the ball down the field. If you can put up 40, put up 40. Stop trying to run the ball. Because you know what? Look, I understand they need that for for Jared Goff. But in this game, put points up on the Seahawks defense, please. Dear God. So you can't, you know, come into week 10 and, and you got to <clears throat> look, the, the game Thursday night, that Colt Titan game. I, I mean, another guy, Philip Rivers, please go away. Please just go away. Enough of you two. Enough of you and your mediocrity. Because if they're telling you you're a Hall of Famer, then I know Eli Manning's guaranteed to be in the Hall of Fame. Because you put up numbers, but you suck. I mean, it's enough for this guy, too. I, I, how, much, how much more talent this guy's going to be surrounded with over the years? It's enough for Philip Rivers. Uh, you know, you, you look at this game, too, Andrew. You're going to tell me there's not anything wrong with this line? It's a pick em? Yeah, Titans should be around six, in my opinion. It's a pick'em, especially since last week, for no reason at all. I mean, Vegas. Listen, I'm, I'm calling Vegas stupid is not a smart idea because a lot of times they are smarter. But I mean, to only have the Ravens as as basically a pick'em or a point favorite against the 
Colts last week. Yeah, right? that was which crazy. Is, which is nonsense. And you and they prove that the Colts are, are not very good. I mean, they're a very well, how about that? Team. How about that line that the Ravens opened up minus two? Yeah, and it and swung they, the other way. I seen line, the other way. Yeah. I seen lines of plus one and a half Ravens. Yeah. And now you yeah. got the Colts as a pick 'em with the Titans in Tennessee on a short week. I mean, look, I, I know Derrick Henry hasn't been the same since Taylor Luan got hurt. Their running game's been a little, you know, a little mediocre. Um, so, but I, I, I'm, I'm shocked that the Lions pick them in this game. I really, really am. Unless somebody knows what's going on. Somebody else knows what's going on, you know, inside that we don't know about. But to be pick them, yeah, I'd have to think that line would probably, I mean, I know you said six. I would, I would say, all right, four, five. I mean, what have the Colts done? What have they done? Their defense is good. But what have they done? They can't score. No. Rivers stinks. He stinks. Jonathan Taylor came out of college. And I said this from the get-go. I didn't think that guy was great. Uh, listen, Wisconsin running backs, I go back to Ron Dane. You know, guys like that. I mean, I don't know about Jonathan Taylor. He has not really had a good season at all. High expectations has not run the ball at all. Now you're seeing Jordan Wilkins. And he's putting the yeah. ball on the ground all the time, Taylor. And he and he's he had a big fumble the other day. So in fact, you know, he fumbled the ball and he didn't see a lot of touches after that. It was primarily no, Wilkins after that. Yeah. Look, when, when the worst thing a rookie could do is fumble the ball. That's a death sentence for them. It's a death sentence. Worst thing they could possibly do. Worst thing. It's going to be interesting to see the Buccaneer game now against the Panthers, who really played a very good game against the Chiefs. Panthers have been competitive. And now Tampa Bay goes to Carolina. You know, against a good Carolina team, a competitive team, not a great defense. It's going to be interesting to see how that game plays out now. Buccaneers, Panthers, and see how they bounce back. You know, so, I, I see this line on Twitter. <laughs> it's just funny. <laughs> I don't want to get political, but this is funny. So, so some offshore sports books are offering a line of what happens first. The Pittsburgh Steelers lose a game or Donald Trump concedes the election. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and oh, the, Steelers, the Steelers losing is minus 160. <laughs> oh, my God. That's crazy. That's well, crazy. they got to listen. They got a, a game against the Bengals. Bengals travel to Pittsburgh. And who knows if Ben's going to play. If passes the COVID testing by Saturday, he'll play. Um, you know, so, you know, he's got two two knee injuries. But that's. That that's his uh, that's his modus operandi, Ben Roethlisberger over his career. He loves coming out and talking about his injuries, Ben. Yeah, he loves riding out on his loves iron horse it. with a limp, oh, grimacing, he loves grimacing and leading his he team to victory. That. That not is, only didn't he have not only didn't he have one knee injury, but now he's he he had two knee injuries coming out of that Dallas game. Yeah, two. Yes, he's listed on the injury report in parentheses <laughs> yeah. knees. Knees. Yeah, he's got two <laughs> knee injuries now, Ben. <laughs> He, he loves playing that up. We talked about the Seahawks Ram game. That should be a good game. You have six four o'clock games because we have the Masters Golf that actually starts at ten o'clock that morning. So that's why you have so many four o'clock games, uh, which is a rarity. So now we have I think six in a row. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, six six four o'clock games. Then you have the eight twenty game, which is the Ravens and Patriots. And if the Ravens don't get well against the Patriots, well, you know I don't know when they're going to do it. So they should put a whipping on the Patriots. I can't see that game being all that competitive. And in a Monday night game, you got the Vikings and Bears. And the Vikings have actually played a little bit better. 
But, you know, this is definitely a team of two malcontent quarterbacks because the Vikings have basically been been doing it with, with uh, Dalvin Cook has been phenomenal um, the last couple of weeks running the ball. I'll so put it's this basically, out there. What, take, one of my take, picks of the week is Bears plus two and a half. Yeah, I don't know. Nick Foles has sucked too. It's almost to the point now that I might have to put Trubisky back in. And that's not, that's not much of, uh, you know. Let me tell you something. If you willfully put your money on Kirk Cousins in a primetime game, you deserve every loss. Well, primetime, yeah, he's always terrible. In it. But you know what? You, you, look, the, 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 uh, if the Bears don't sell out and just put nine guys on the line to stop Dalvin Cook and dare Kirk Cousins to throw the ball down the field, then they're morons because the only offense that they're getting is through Dalvin Cook. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Like, Anytime Cousins is flinging the ball down the field, it's because they're behind, and that's it. So, you know, they established a running game. And, again, the Bears have a very good defense, especially against the run. Very tough to throw in the Bears as well. So, um, you know, we'll see. And like I said, guaranteed win, Giants-Eagles. I'm guaranteeing it, locking it up. Is that your, is that your corporation pick too? I can't make it my corporation pick. Only because it, it – Look, I can't. I, I've always swore that I would never make the Giants or the Jets my corporation pick, and that's not just because it is. I've always said that I cannot do it, and I don't do it. That's not just a twenty twenty thing. That's always, 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 okay. always. Because the week you think they're going to win, they'll lose. The week you're going to bet the the Jets or the Giants, you think they're going to win, they lose. The week you're going to they're going to lose, they win. And somehow, somewhere they screw you. Those two teams. So I just vowed never to ever bet them for years. I've been I never bet them ever ever. Corporation well, pick. I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, I'll, after I'll last week, you, man. I'll, I'll tell you this. You know, I'm on the money with my Steelers. If this line is at six and a half, seven, and Ben tests negative, I like it. I know, that, I know that the no no week of practice is a thing. I get it. and and No, but that line's uh, going to go up to 10 if, if they know he's playing. I can't see that sitting at seven and a half. I'll tell you the truth. You know, you know just just take the Packers to give the 13 points, 14 points. See, I like the other side in that game. I do. Jake I tell Luton. You, I was, I was Jake Luton is going into Green Bay. I was impressed with him. Play, he played against the Houston Texans. Let's not forget that. Well, he's going to be playing against the Green Bay Packers. Let's not forget that. Their defense oh. is atrocious, too. Yeah, Packers, look, against the bad teams, the Packers are a better defense, especially in Green Bay. This kid's going on the road, Jake Luton. I, I, you know, I, the only thing is I got to say is that if Jair Alexander doesn't play, then, you know, because I was thinking about sitting DJ Chalk this week because of Jair Alexander, but he had the concussion. He left the game early last week. So, is there and, any uh, fans in He hasn't practiced. Level? I don't think so. I don't know if they put any fans there. I don't know if they put any fans in Green Bay. I'm not sure. I'm not sure, actually. We could look it up. We could certainly look it up. I wonder. So that's the rundown of the of the uh, NFL games for this week. You know, you get into the Knicks a little bit. We've got the draft coming up on November 18th. They pretty much uh, have said the season's going to start on December 22nd. I think the free agency starts right after the draft, November 21st or 22nd, around that time, too. And then you got the season opening up on December 22nd. Yeah, December so it's 22nd. A, it's a very quick turnaround with what's going on. Draft, free agency, yeah. practice, season. Boom. Yeah, pretty much. Well, All look, it, it is what it is. You've got to make – look, you, you know, you got to try and make some money. 
<laughs> you know, it's all about it's all about revenue, Andrew. That's it. That's why they wanna that's why they wanna start the season right around Christmas time, because Christmas Day, they wanna have those three or four games on. You know, that's a big moneymaker for them that day. So, you know, people will be watching too, because let's not forget, we've only got football right now. That's it. We got nothing else. Yeah. And hockey probably's not going to start until after the new year, I'd have to think. And they'll probably have a shortened season. Obviously, baseball, you know, spring training, who knows what's going to happen there. You know, March, April, maybe, uh, you know, kind of restrictions, whatever may be happening, the, you know, rumor of a vaccine coming out soon. You know, how effective it's going to be to say 90 percent. We'll see. You know, uh, you know, all we, all we know is what we read in here. But uh, so, yeah, the NBA, you know, the, the hearing rumors that Russell Westbrook now wants to be traded, as you mentioned earlier. I mean, I don't want Russell Westbrook. Look. He's a drawer, I'm sure. I don't want him on this team. If the Knicks are going to build a team, build your team. Build it through a draft. You can grab a free agent. You know, there's rumors of uh, Fred Van Vliet from Toronto, a uh, point guard who the Knicks could definitely use a point guard. I don't know what the hell is going to be available to them in the draft at eight. Who knows? You know, you read all sorts of things. Uh, I'll tell you know, this. They, they might even know. trade out of that pick. Who knows? I know you're not as big with the college basketball as I am. I'm telling you right now, a dream come true for the Knicks would be if Tyrese Halliburton, point guard from Iowa State, is sitting on the board at number eight. Well, I read that today, actually, and they're saying that he's not going to be there. So I don't know. His stock has really risen, and rightfully so, because he he's a stud, Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, he's the type of guy, last year at Iowa State, as a sophomore, yeah, he he's a lanky guy. He doesn't he needs to put a little bit of meat on his bones, but he's six foot five, which is bigger for a point guard. He's only 175 pounds, though. So he doesn't need to put a little bit of weight on. But I mean, he could do it all. He could shoot from the outside. He distributes the ball. He can drive to the hoop. You know, he reminds me of driving to the hoop. He reminds me of a guy like Derrick Rose, who just absorbs contact like prime Derrick Rose, absorbs right. contact and is able to get his shot away. And then from the outside, he's he, he's not a sharp shooter, but he could certainly shoot from outside better than most point guards can. And last year at Iowa State, he was hurt. He missed he missed some games during the season with an injury, but 16 points, six boards, six assists. And he well, shot he shot over 50% from the field. Look, the Knicks, the Knicks need guys that could shoot shoot from threes, you know, shoot shoot threes. They don't have that. They don't have that. And and um, you know, look, it's not the game that I like, but this game is about shooting threes. That's it. If you don't have the guy, if you don't have two or three guys on the court at the same time that can knock down a three, you're not winning many games nowadays. You're just not. These teams are knocking down threes like it's nothing now. I mean, I hate it. I don't like it, but it is what it is. It's the game the way it is now. So you have to adapt. So the Knicks have to get some sharpshooters. They got to get some guys that can nail threes. Well, again, he's he's not a sharpshooter, but he shoots, no, I know. He shoots just, just under 45% from three. Right. I, I know that, but. You know, they if they would be lucky enough to draft him, they still need another shooter. They would still need another shooter there. You know, RJ Barrett is more of a wing type of guy. He's not going to be knocking down threes. They really don't have anybody else on his team that can knock down threes consistently at all. Dennis Smith Jr., whoever it may be, they they don't have those sort of guys. And you need them. You need them. You need guys like that. I mean, as far as the draft's concerned, it's a crapshoot. There's no, you know, it's not like the NFL draft as far as I'm concerned. 
I mean, so who knows what the Knicks are going to do in free agency or anything else. I just don't want to – I don't need to see Chris Paul. I don't need to see Russell Westbrook on this team. You know, these guys been there, done that. Yeah, we don't need those sort of guys coming in. We don't need that. It's the worst thing possible you to do is to bring in a ball hog like Russell Westbrook. It's not helping a young players develop. And I'm sure Thibodeau wouldn't want that either. Yeah, I, I I tell you what though, I really think that Russell Wilson, uh, Russell Wilson, Russell Westbrook being a ball hog is is a, a little bit of an overstatement. I mean, the guy does average a triple double. You can't do that without passing the ball. He does, but he commands the ball. You know, he commands the ball. And in all honesty, my opinion, I don't think he makes plays better around him. I think he's a great player, but again, he's like a lot like James Harden. You know, they're going to get their wins. They're going to get their wins because they're great players. In the regular season, but come time to the, uh, come come time for the playoffs when other players around you have to be better. That's where you start seeing the issues. Well, guess what? Too if you if you're content on trying to yeah, you want to build through the draft and supplement with some free agents. I Got to you, you have to. No, nobody's going to want to play with Russell Westbrook. That's the biggest problem. No, nobody's going to want to come and play with him. No, why I would mean, you? He already he already had a rapport in Oklahoma City with James Harden, and that didn't even work out in Houston. No, why would you want to be at a report with Kevin Durant? I mean, you know, <laughs> you think about that. They had Durant, Westbrook, and Harden. Had that work out? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, and it's, and I, and what happened? And what happened? And what happened when Westbrook left? They brought in Chris Paul, thirty-five-year-old point guard. Chris Paul, who's a very good. Listen, tremendous player when he's healthy. He led them to the playoffs with who? Stephen Adams. Yeah, but you know what? I, that's that's where I, I differ from you on the whole, and I differ from a lot of people. I'm in the mini- minority when I say this completely. I think Chris Paul is a perfect fit for the Knicks. I really do. No, 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 no. Too much money. You, we don't need that money for the next two but again, years. What do you, you what don't do you, need that? What else you spend they don't need on? that what because the Knicks are not the Knicks are not winning championships with Chris Paul. They'll they'll be an eight seed maybe. Yeah, with Chris they're Paul. not winning a championship with anybody. Let's no, they're it. not. I, I understand, but there's no need to bring in that sort of money for the next two years. It's $40 million a year for the next two years. But what else would you be spending the money on? I, I don't need to spend it on Chris Paul. I don't need to spend it on a 35, 30, coming to a 36-year-old point guard. Well, I don't want to spend com- that What money. was your complaint with Russell Westbrook? He doesn't make people around him better. Chris Paul does exactly that. If you want a veteran point guard to be able to make guys around him better and kind of get all this potential out of the young roster that you have, I- Chris Paul is that guy. I'd rather bring in a kid like Fred Van Vliet. I bring him in. He's a winner. He's won. He's only 26 years old. I'd rather pay a guy like him. And he wouldn't be making nearly as much as Chris Paul's making. And he's a point guard. So I'd rather bring in somebody like him. I don't need to bring in Chris Paul at this point. We don't need to bring him in. Fred Van Vliet is not making anybody around him better. Than no, that. he's not. But he's a, he's, he's, he's a good point guard. He's a winner. He's a good player that you don't have to pay an absorbent amount of money for the next two years like you do Chris Paul. Now look, he might go back to the Raptors because the Raptors have his bird rights, so they could they could sign him to a max contract, and maybe he does go back there. But I'm saying it doesn't have to be Van Vliet itself. But I'd rather bring in a lesser guy. You know, I I don't need to bring in Chris Paul and his forty million dollar salary. I just don't. I just don't. I don't want to do it. You know, he stayed healthy last year, Chris I, I Paul, which was miraculous. I just, but I just don't understand for the life of me, Rob, why you keep bringing up the money as if it could be spent in better places. They're not. I'm not. Getting I'm it. not saying. It, I'm not saying it can, but you never know what could happen. You could have teams, especially in this sort of pandemic now, that 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 are looking to maybe dump a contract. Right. Well, they you yeah, dump uh, Chris. You, you they're gonna whoever you're gonna uh, try to listen, get rid of Chris Paul's contract. Let me finish. You can let me finish. On and get let me finish. Capital. Let me finish. Of a younger player. With more upside, Chris Paul has no upside anymore. We've seen what he could do. That's it. 
I don't need to bring in a 36-year-old point guard at this point. But what hasn't he worked do, for the Knicks. But what he can do, he's already reached his ceiling. You know what he is. What he is and what he can do can definitively make the Knicks a better I, team and get the I'd people rather, around him better. I'd rather take my chance on not spending the money like that on a Chris Paul and, and, and basically maxing out our cap on a Chris Paul and waiting to see what happens along the lines of this pandemic to see what happens with teams that might be dumping, wanted to dump contracts because you know what? They're, they're going to be in a salary cap crunch. So they might have to dump better players than what Chris Paul is. Let me ask you something. Tyrese Halliburton falls to the Knicks at number eight, right? You telling me that you wouldn't want him to get minutes behind Chris Paul to develop himself as a point guard? Because they got they got similar styles. Chris Paul is not a sharpshooter from three either. No, he can shoot I, I, three. I don't. I'd rather just see Halliburton play then. Just make let the kid play. Put him on the court and let him play. And let him play. You got Thibodeau there now. You got a bona fide coach that knows how to teach. That knows how to teach players. You know, you you, you got a bona fide coach now. Again, you you have to remember we were in a pandemic. We are in a salary cap crunch now with these teams. Salary caps might be even lowered even more in the NBA next year. Like this going to happen. It's going to be a flat cap in the NHL. Where do you see some of the guys are going to get moved in the NHL? You're already starting to see some of it. It's going to happen. It's happening in, the, in, in Major League Baseball. It's happening. You see, that's why the Indians, they know they can't afford Lindor. You can't put fans in the stands. There are going to be a lot of teams out there that's going to have contracts. They're going to look to move. And it might be better players and younger players that they might want to move, making some money. I'd rather take the chance on that. At the same time, build through the draft. Build it the right way. Build, just build it the right way and develop and develop a team. Develop your team. Chris Paul is, is – look, he's not going to lead us anywhere. What is he? He's going to be a leader? He's, I, I don't need a leader. I don't need a leader making $40 million a year. I don't need that. I don't want it. I don't need it. Just build this team the right way. Just build it the right way. Build it through the draft. Let's see some of the guys on the roster that are on the roster right now maybe get coached a little bit better. Maybe it's a different system for them on the Thibodeau. So maybe guys like Nicolino, Dennis Smith, I don't know. I'm Listen, Kevin Knox, any young guys like that, maybe they develop under a guy like Thibodeau. Let's see what happens. I'm not saying that they will. I'm not saying it's a guarantee. But can we see they're young enough to, for us to maybe, you know, Nicolina's what, 21, 22, Knox is 22. These are RJ Barrett. These are all young guys. Let's see how they develop under a coach like Thibodeau, under a different sort of system, under a professional coach, which we finally have. Let's see what happens. I, I'd rather take my chance developing these players, and then let's see what happens after this year. If we could see we could develop players, then let's see what happens. But I think, you can even, I think you can even further develop those players with them playing alongside Chris Paul. I mean, you saw the team he just dragged to the playoffs. They're, they're terrible. I get it. I get it. I understand that. But I don't want to be dragged to the playoffs. I don't want just an eight seed. Again, I want sustainability. I want to build a young team. I want them to build together. I want them to unite, unite together, to come together as a team. Who knows? Maybe Nicolino will be the guy out of nowhere. Maybe under Thibodeau, he oh, flourishes. That, that, that's not happening. I, can tell I, I understand. We say it's not happening, but he's 21 years old. Let's give the kid a chance. Maybe under Thibodeau, he develops. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not trying to sound like a fool over here. I'm trying to be reasonable. I'm trying to build this team the right way, finally. I'm trying to build it the right way because if Chris Paul comes in, you know damn well Carmelo Anthony's following him through that door. 
And I do not need to see that either. I don't need to see it. I don't need to see the Chris Paul Carmelo Anthony show. I don't need to see that. Well, I, I don't need to I, see I, it. I can, so you know I what? Let Chris Paul go. Let Chris Paul go to the Suns. Let him go to the Suns. Let him go there, and maybe you make a trade for Devin Booker or something. I don't know. I just, I just want youth on this team. That's what I want. I want to develop the youth. That's my thing. And I understand you. I understand you're thinking about Chris bringing in Chris Paul. But you know what? I'd rather bring in a, a, a veteran that's making far less money than what Chris Paul is making. I don't want to be cash strapped for the next two years under the salary cap. I just don't because I want to have that opening there in case I'll say it a million times in this pandemic, teams will be up against the salary cap crunch. They might need to dump these contracts. And it might be a better player than Chris Paul and a younger player than Chris Paul. And maybe the Knicks will be there and they'll have enough money under the cap where they can take on a contract like that. Let's see. I'd rather just build it that way. You're going to build it, build it the right way. I don't want to, you know, you, you can't build a house while you're living in it. You can't do that. So you, you got to just build the house the right way. Get out of the house and build it, period. That's it. And I hope that's what the Knicks are going to do. Build with your youth. Build well, with your youth. Draft is next week, so we'll figure out the direction. Um, next Wednesday, actually, is the draft. So maybe, yeah. maybe we'll hop on. You want to hop on during the draft? I think that would be a good yeah, idea. Yeah, we'll hop on during the draft. I mean, look, you know, college is different now, Andrew. You know, these guys are one and done in college now. So, you know, it's it, it's a it's a weird dynamic when these guys come out after one year. I mean, you see all these guys from Kentucky always did that too. Basically, Calipari used to get the best of the best players, and he used to guarantee them, tell them, hey, listen, I'm going to win you a championship. I'm going to get you drafted in the first round. You'll leave after one year. <laughs> you know, and that's what always happened with Kentucky players. So, you know, a lot of these guys now in college, you know, you don't you don't see them that much in college anymore. You see them play one season and they're gone. So two quick notes before we call it quits. Um, Andy Martino is reporting that the Mets have interviewed Michael Hill for their president of baseball operations job. Um, he was a former base president of baseball operations for the Marlins, and he served as their GM from 2015, um, which brought drafts of guys like Jose Fernandez, Marcelo Zuna, Christian Yelich, guys like that. Um, so, I mean, I'm indifferent. I don't know enough about him, but that's a, a candidate that they, that they interviewed today. For yeah. You know, what's, you know, what's interesting, you know, what's, in, you know, what's interesting. I mean, they're going to appoint a president of baseball operations as well as a general manager. Correct. Say that one more time. They, uh, they're going to appoint the president of baseball operations and they will appoint the general manager as well, or they're not going to do that. We don't know. We haven't gotten because clarity I, I, that. I, yeah, we haven't gotten clarity, but they did say that they might be they might be appointing two different guys. Now they haven't gone through a general manager process. I, I would have thought that they would, but I would have to think that if you're going at, looking at a guy like Mike Hill for president of baseball operations, you know, again, you mentioned some of the names that the, that he drafted with the Marlins. You would have to think that he would be on more of the developmental scouting type of side. You know, as far as drafting these sort of players. Well, you remember, you wouldn't go after the general manager until you hired the president of baseball operations because right, the general right. manager would be answering to that person. Exactly. But I'm saying as far as the president of baseball operations, the fact that they're going to a guy that was affiliated with the Tampa Rays, uh, with the Marlins, I'm, I'm sorry, with the Marlins, you know, you'd have to think with a limited payroll, 
you know, they had to do their due diligence as to who they were drafting. And the fact that with the names that you mentioned, Yelich, Fernandez, God rest his soul, Azuna, that's some top-notch talent there that, you know, you could put on his resume. You know what, um, I, you know, you know Real, what I'm trying to Real, say? Real, Real Muto also. Real, Real Muto, think about that. So they probably look at his track record and say, wow, look at some of the guys he's drafted. So and then and then your general manager, you're probably going to look to. I, I look. I, I know people have mentioned Theo Epstein. I just can't see that. Well, here's another thing I have to read to you. Um, Anthony DeComo just tweeted this a couple minutes ago. Um, Trevor Bauer is being interviewed tonight after winning the Cy Young. And by the way, he he won the NL Cy Young. Shane yeah. Bieber wins, wins American League. Jacob DeGrom finished in third place, so no three-peat for DeGrom, which was expected. Yeah. Uh, but Trevor Bauer was asked about Sandy Alderson's comments that Trevor Bauer would be a good fit in New York. And this is the quote from Trevor Bauer. He said, quote, I heard Sandy's comments, and it was refreshing to hear him speak that way about me. In the past, a lot of the narrative surrounding me is that I can't handle a big market I'm a head case or whatever the case is. That's kind of been the narrative. So to hear that someone as high ranking as Sandy feels the way he feels about me is refreshing. And it's good to hear him speak like that. I'm certainly very appreciative of that. I also kind of zeroed in on one of the things he said, which is baseball is an entertainment business. At the end of the day, we are an entertainment business. And I think that that's a view that I share with him. It's something I'm really passionate about. I certainly would like to move that initiative forward because I think that the players will be better for it when they start looking at it that way. Yes, you're paid to play baseball and to win on the field, obviously, but you can't do that 24-7. So if you maximize your time and buy into the entertainment side of things, there's so much opportunity for players to do things like that. And I think that the culture of baseball has slowly begun to shift in that direction. We will have the last three Cy Young winners in our rotation, baby! So you're sold that he's coming. I'm sold. Sandy, listen, for Sandy to say that, he knew what he was doing, Sandy, when he said that yesterday. He knew what he was doing. Believe well, here, me. I'll, I'll tell you this. And I he was tugging at the heartstrings of Trevor Bauer. Nothing is nothing. Trevor is Bauer probably sent little heart emojis to Sandy Alderson. Everything, with dollar, with dollar everything signs is just a total unknown right now, okay? But I can tell you one thing that is 100% guaranteed. Trevor Bauer, JT Riomuto, George Springer, DJ LeMayhew, Masahiro Tanaka, James McCann, all those guys, and some guys that I didn't mention, they're going to have an offer on the table. And before they sign the dotted line on that contract, their agent is going to be calling Sandy Alderson and asking if they want to make an offer. So oh, the Mets will 100%. be in on every single one of these free agents. 100%. They're not going to well, sign them all, but they will be contacted about every single one, and that's a good thing. But at the same time, the Mets will not be used to jack up a price. That's not going to happen. No. No. They're not going to be used to jack up a price of, of a player. It's not going to happen. You know, it, it, I would have to think the Mets will be aggressive. They'll come out and say, this is our offer. Take it or leave it. Well, I'll tell you this. They, they're, they're not going to be used as a, as a bargaining chip. But no. they, are, they are not going to get outbid on any free agent. If someone, no, if someone offers not. them more money than the Mets, it's because the Mets did not want to give that kind of money. But I could see the Mets going aggressive and saying, okay, here's our offer. Take it or leave it. That's our offer right now. It's on the table. Yes, no. Boom. Let's go. See, I, I, saw, I saw an article from John Morosi from MLB Network, and he pointed out the fact that 
if there is indeed a, you know, people are speculating as to what the return for a Francisco Lindor trade would be. Uh, and he did point out that the main suitors for Francisco Lindor right now, um, three of them are the Yankees. No, please. Let's not say the Yankees. Well, every, no, every I, single, I, completely, I, I know, listen, but listen, let's, listen, let's eliminate listen. the Yankees. No, no, listen, I don't care listen, what he said. Listen, Ignore I the Yankees. Agree with Enough with the Yankees. I agree Yankees. with you. I agree with you. I agree with you. Because I'm sick and tired down. of the Yankees. Every single Calm player. Down. I agree with out. you. Let's tour the Yankees out of the Yankees equation. are not the Yankees are not signing any free agents. The Yankees are not making any trades. The Yankees roster. They might sign a free agent. They're not getting Lindor. Let's get them out of the equation. They don't have what the Indians want, and the Indians would not make a deal with the Yankees unless Gleyber Torres is in the deal. It's not happening. So you know, all these guys love to mention the Yankees. Every single freaking player that's out there, Yankees. I'm sick of it. Let's eliminate the Yankees with Lindor. So let's go on to the other teams. Well. One thing is a fact. The Yankees have reached out. They don't have enough to get them. But they, they can have... reach out all they want. They can reach out. Who cares? What Let he, them reach what out. Was, what he was saying is that even though people don't think it would take that much to get him, that might not necessarily be true because of the fact that he named the suitors as the Yankees, the Blue Jays, the Mets, and the Phillies. And you could separate that into two groups of two teams who are division rivals. And so they might be competing with their offers and the Indians might be able to maximize what they get in return for Lindor because the four suitors are, are rivals like that. I could see the Phillies. I, I don't know about the Phillies, though, if if they re-sign Rio Muto. That I'm not sure of. But the Phillies do have the prospects. Well, the Phillies have a lot of money coming off the books. They know Arietta's twenty-five million is coming right. off the books. It's coming 18, off right. Eighteen million for DD is off the books. Right. Um. So, but the only thing is, people are, around the industry are saying that the Indians are probably going to want their third base prospect, Alec Bohm, who came up and just knocked the ball all over the park last yeah, year. Yeah, I don't think I don't the Indians. I don't think the Phillies are going to want to give him up. Yeah. So that'll be I, the, that'll that, be tough. Again, that that article I read about the. Uh, you know, I was giving you the contracts before. They had the Phillies signing James McCann, and they had the Phillies signing Andrelton Simmons to play shortstop. Which, yeah, by he, the way, he was, Simmons is a fine shortstop, too. He, his glove is not He's a good shortstop. He, he's a guy that was rumored to go to the Yankees, too, as a shortstop. You know, he was another guy. He was another guy. And he's not going to get a long-term deal. He's going to be a one- to two-year contract. For a guy like a lot of these guys, I said that there's, there's four guys. you got Bauer, Remuto, Springer. Bauer, Remuto, Springer. Who am I missing? Bauer, Remuto, Springer. Who's the fourth guy I'm missing? LeMayhew. LeMayhew. Those are the four guys that are going to get multi-year deals. I don't see too many other guys getting multi-year deals. I really, really don't. The, Mar the, the Marcus Simeons of the world and – you know, the Andrelton Simmons of the world and guys like that, I do not see getting multi-year deals only because, again, you know, these guys are good players. They're not great players, uh, good players. And, again, you don't know. We have the unknown. <laughs> you know? I mean, God willing, we're able to put some people in a ballpark, but I don't think you're going to be seeing 50,000 people packed in a ballpark come April. Not happening. Even the revenue you make from spring training, you're probably going to lose out on that as well. So, you know, I mean, is what it is. But all right, I guess we could wrap it up. We did enough. I did enough yelling. I yelled about a lot of things. It was a lot of yelling on tonight's episode. Good, more, good. More you know what? You know what? Joe Benigno left. Somebody needs to replace him. There you go. There you go. <laughs> somebody, somebody needs to have. Somebody needs to be a little ornery here. Well, you want me to put you in a good mood, real quick? 
I could put you. I know how to make you make you get in a good mood real quick. Go ahead. If you look at the Week Ten slate of NFL games, the New York Jets have a bye week, so you won't have to watch Frank Gore carry the ball. Oh, this thank week. God! I actually wanted to run a couple of rapid fire questions at you, but all right. I mean, I know. Listen, we're about almost two and a half hours into this. Well, podcast, you know what? But that's fine. You'll you, you know you get you get better as you learn, Rob. For episode well, thirty-six, yeah, I'll, I'll run it through you next week. There you go. So now we just gave the whole listening audience a reason to tune back in, as if they weren't going to tune in already. Because I don't know why you wouldn't. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if they I don't know if any of their eardrums burst with some of my rants. But that's all right. I don't care. Yeah, my ears are ringing right now. To be honest with you, they've been ringing for a while. You gotta remember, I got headphones on too. We both have headphones on, so it's. It's not like I can move away from the speaker. I mean, it's coming right in. So, <laughs> but anyway, so obviously monumental change as far as New York Mets baseball is concerned. We're both excited. Hopefully by next week, we'll have a president of baseball operations or a general manager, whatever the case may be. Maybe some of these free agents will sign. Uh, next Wednesday when we be on, will be the N- NBA draft. So we could break down pick by pick. We could break down the Knicks, what their direction is going to be, who they end up taking, and what the plan is from there. We'll break down all the Week 10 slate uh, and anything else that follows. You know, I'm actually hearing also, real quick before we go, um, so obviously we said before the NBA is starting their season on December 22nd. I've been hearing that the NHL plans to announce their plan sometime in the very, very near future. Well, they have to announce it soon because they're probably going to start in, in January, and I think, it's got, again, it's going to be a condensed schedule. I think they're trying to just figure out the logistics as far as maybe going, you know, through the hubs again, as well as looking at a realignment of the divisions. Well, the, the main problem is that the Canadian teams cannot travel. Right. So right. they would have to create a hub for those seven Canadian teams. They, they'd that have that to, causes right. the biggest issue. Right. And that's an issue. Yeah. And that's a big issue. Because it's not like, you know, you got a couple of them in the Eastern Conference, a couple in the Western Conference in different yeah. divisions. It's, it's a nightmare that they're going to have to sift through. So hopefully we hear from the NHL soon about their plan. Um, but besides that, We'll wait and see what happens with the MLB offseason, and and that's what we have to look forward to as well as as well as NFL. Well, look, we only we only got football now, right now. We got fantasy football, and we got regular NFL football. So that's all we got right now until the NBA season starts. That's going to be the next sport. I mean, one of the four major sports. Right. I mean, you know, we got the Masters coming up, which is I was like watching the Masters. So, um, but uh, the golf you, is coming up. You, you can watch that. You let me know how that goes. Yeah, no, I love watching the Masters. <laughs> I, I, I love watching the big tournaments. I enjoy that myself. So, you know. You know what? I just can't. Now that the Masters is in November on a football Sunday, there is a 0% chance that I tune into a second of it. I got to tell you. I mean, normally, no, I'm not, a, I'm not a huge golf fan, but I'll tune in every once in, once in a while. But coinciding with a football Sunday, I can tell you definitively there's a 0.0% chance that I watch a second. Yeah, well, I'm not going to watch that uh, um, over the NFL. That's not happening. But I will flip onto it just to see, you know, leaderboards and, you know, maybe in between breaks of an NFL game, whatever, halftime, I'll flip it on. And uh, maybe towards the end, you know, when they're on uh, on the 18th, you know, if we have a, a something that's in doubt as far as a leader. So, you know. It's always the Masters is always fun to watch, but it, it'll, so follow, it, it'll be good. You can follow me on Twitter at Andrew May underscore 21 is the Twitter handle. Um, 
You can follow me on Instagram, A underscore May 21. And, and by the way, by the way, by the way, I am seriously leaning towards maybe getting a Twitter account. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Can you do me a favor and repeat that one more time? I said I'm leaning towards maybe getting a Twitter account. <laughs> Twitter, here I come, baby. What a way to close out the episode. I don't know. I'm, so I'm what, leaning what, towards doing this, it. I'm leaning towards not, doing it. This is it. not something you can say and then we log off and see you next week. No, we have I'm, leaning, I'm leaning towards doing it. It might be time. Even I discussed it with my wife, too. She goes, it might be time, maybe, you know. Wait, and so I you, said, you're asking, maybe were you asking for permission? No, it's not. No, it's it's not even it's not even that. <laughs> but she kind of agrees, like, you know, it's good for the show and everything else like that. Whatever, you know, for the podcast. So, you know, she's like, oh, you know, maybe you could get, you know, you should get one. Uh, yeah, but well, I just got to, I got to control myself. I've said this to you before. I mean, you frequently visit Twitter. I do. I go on just to look at posts and stuff. Yeah, right. because I just know I don't need to see anything stupid where I'm going to post something back to somebody that's either a, t a keyboard tough guy or just a moron. You know, that that sometimes ignites me. Well, I, I will give you a little bit of a spoiler. There are a lot of there are plenty of more, no doubt, and that's that's my reluctance to it. It really more really so is. on Twitter than Facebook. It's my reluctance to it for sure. Believe me. So that's why I'm I'm not a hundred percent yet. So I I, I got I'm still thinking about it, but so I'm leaning. I'm le it's more than fifty percent right now, which is more than what I've ever been. So if you create this Twitter account, are you going to text me and let me know? Or will I just get a random follow from a Rob Jufre? My first, it's a tweet, tweet, it's a tweet. Yes. My first tweet is to Uncle Stevie Cohn. But I won't see it unless I follow you. So how will I know when you actually I, create the Twitter account? I'll, will I get a follow? Will you text me? Will you announce it on the next podcast? Like what's going to happen with this? You got to figure this out. This is a big deal. This is this is my this is more monumental than the new ownership. Uncle Stevie Cone comes first. Uncle Stevie comes first. I'm just going to give him a hello Uncle Stevie. It's your long lost nephew Rob. I am on Twitter now. I'm 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 looking to get a check mark. And then I'll respond with the picture of the shirt. Well, don't I well, 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 but 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 wait, if if I if I send a tweet to Uncle Stevie, don't I uh, hashtag you or whatever the hell it is? Do I hashtag uh, you to let you know that I sent the tweet to Stevie and then you would okay. get that? So this is this is going from a podcast to a Twitter <laughs> lesson here. So what happens is the, the, the hashtag is, is different than the mention. So when you mention someone, you use, you know, at the end of every episode, I mentioned my Twitter handle at Andrew May underscore 21. If you right. wanted to tweet me and say something or you wanted me to see something, you would write at Andrew May underscore 21 in the tweet before you would send the tweet. And that would be mentioning me. I would get an alert that I was mentioned in a tweet and then I can see it. Um, a hashtag is just like a hashtag is harder to put a little a definition to it, but. Um, basically it's like a way for people to filter through information. So like if I tweet about something and I put hashtag, let's go Mets, anybody who types in the hashtag, let's go Mets can see that tweet, whether they follow me or not. So it's kind of a way to kind of get your tweet to a, 
an audience that wouldn't otherwise see it, if that makes any sense. See, all I need to all I need to see is somebody praising Frank Gore, and I'll probably get banned from Twitter my first week. Uh, I'll find one. See, if you make a Twitter, I will tag you and I will type in. Oh Frank my God! Yeah. More, I'll find something and yeah. I will tag you in it, and that'll yeah. be the end of your Twitter yeah. experience. Yeah, and tomorrow, I could, all my friends listening will probably be texting me tomorrow. What do you got against Frank Gore? What do you got against Frank Gore? What do you got against Frank Gore? I really don't have much against Frank Gore, but it's enough for Frank Gore. That's the problem. It's enough. enough and enough of Kalen Ballage, please. Yeah, and enough of Kalen. Well, Kalen Ballage, whatever. But it's enough for Frank Gore. That's all. Nothing against Frank Gore. Wonderful career. 37 years old. Still out there with the big boys. Probably maybe be a Hall of Famer, whatever it may be. But it's enough. Very simple. It's very right. simple. So on that note, we will see you next week. Be sure to follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Instagram, any platform you have. And if we get some news about uh, Rob making a Twitter account, I'll be sure to shout him out so we can get his following up. Um, but until then, for Rob Dufresne, I'm Andrew May. We will see you next Uncle week. Uncle Stevie!